0: Welcome, everybody, to the Break the Rules stream. I am your host, Lev Polyakov, Lev Poe on Twitter. We got Giovanni Panacchietti, my main man sleep. over here. We've got Oren McIntyre. And we have our guest of honor today, Wilford Riley, who is an American political scientist, assistant professor of political science at Kentucky State University. And... Uh, phd in political science from southern illinois university with a law degree from university of illinois and your focus is on the empirical testing of political claims you are the writer of hate crime hoax how the left is selling a fake race war and uh, as well as a couple of other books that i have right over here we have taboo 10 facts you can talk about as well so uh, please check those books out please support wilfred and uh, let's get this started first off wilfred uh professor riley uh how how what would you prefer uh, me to call you first off
1: um i mean most people in friendly conversations like this call me will or wilfred i guess Uh, either either name is perfectly acceptable you you can choose
0: all right where there's a will there's a way so uh wilfred When it comes to the assumption
2: that it will be friendly all the way. Yes, it will.
0: No, 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 no. BTR BTR is a stream of peace. That's what I always say. And I stand by those (laughs) words. Anyway, when it comes to you being in the position that you are today, uh, what exactly motivated you first off to become a professor? And do you find things are different in current year in 2021, as opposed to when you uh, started being a professor. So that would be the first kind of cementing question. Oh, oh and
2: also what was your doctoral thesis? That, that's interesting. There we go. Yeah,
1: my, uh, my doctoral dissertation actually looked at the, it's one of the few empirical tests of what you could call white privilege that I've found. So in 1992, a guy named Andrew Hacker, he's a good political scientist, he's a Queens U professor. But asked a group of white kids, and I mean, this is white kids in Queens in the early 90s. So you can, you can judge that sample as you will. But he asked a group of white kids how much they'd have to be paid to become black. And the average answer was $50 million. And this really, along with an essay by a writer named Peggy McIntosh, started the white mm-hmm. privilege idea. The idea was that this is such a racist, institutionally wicked country. That you'd have to pay a white man fifty million dollars for him to agree to become black, if this were possible. And for my dissertation, which really actually started my the the theme of me being interested in this kind of thing. My question was: I asked basically, I asked two thousand people across all racial and other lines. First, I mean, do you think this is a worthwhile question at all? Would you consider changing a characteristic like your race? And if so, how, how much money would you demand? Just theoretically, if we had the magic machines and so on. And what we found was that whites, in fact, were one of the least racist groups. Um, the most racist group was old Asian men. If you think <laughs> a measure of racism at all. Uh, who would frequently, in the qualitative portion, say things like, "You know, I prefer my society to your, you know, Mayfly, impure Western culture." So on down the line. Uh, African Americans finished a bit ahead of whites. So it was pretty close but the average amount of money that was demanded by everyone to change their race was about 80 million. First of all i guess you have to adjust for inflation and secondarily the minorities uh with the exception of hispanics were significantly more identified than whites were so I, I did some kind of theoretical writing on the idea of white privilege and what this means and suggested that we always need to test these concepts if you're talking about fragility or appropriation or something like that which later grew into a lot of the research that i do now and the, the other chapters of the dissertation go beyond race. I mean, so I asked people if they'd consider changing their sexual identity, their sexual orientation, um, their faith tradition, assuming they truly believed in it. Ironically, atheists were more likely to do so than members of most religions truly identify with being an atheist. But at any rate, um, I found, one, everyone is equally racist well, first. Two, a lot of the measures we use of things like races were pretty badly flawed. I'm not sure they measure much of anything. You just want to keep being white, for example. And three, I found that people are much more attached to a number of other things. I've since found this with national citizenship than we are to race. So the percentage of heterosexual males who would agree to a hypothetical change in sexual orientation was basically zero. Um, people didn't want to change their sex. This is especially true for women who describe men as dumb and slovenly Mm. and so on anyway um so that's the dissertation what do people actually value and how much does that gel with kind of a lot of the high profile sometimes pretty woke stuff we hear well uh, what year was the uh, dissertation this would be i got my phd in 2015 the dissertation later came out as a very small press book in like 2017 Mm. um so this i I got out of siu in uh the spring of 2015 i guess
0: It's uh, very interesting because, and I want to also uh, get to uh, my question about uh, why you became a college professor in the first place, but uh, it is very interesting to think of today's NB culture, as now uh, some people are calling it, where it is a lot of women who are jumping on the bandwagon of being uh, much more uh, ambiguous as far as what uh, gender they are. It seems to be a very popular thing today. In Sweden, it's like an astronomical uh, rate of like uh, many, many percentages of uh, women who uh, claim to uh, have uh, sexual dysphoria who, uh, you know, got onto a similar train. And I really doubt that all of them are experiencing the same things that may be experienced by very uh, small percentage of people. So it's interesting that you mentioned that uh, women in particular did not want to uh,
1: change their sex. Well, there, there's a, a difference between sex and gen, gender, obviously. And I, I don't mean to mock the, the second concept, but gender is a pretty vague, ambiguous idea. And saying that you're changing your gender can signify anything from a mental condition to social rebellion. I mean, there's a great deal of work along both lines. When women were asked why they wouldn't change their sex, they said things, I mean, to be blunt, people said things like, I like getting wet. Like, I mean, it was a <laughs> physical, it, it didn't have much Go to the do pool. With go to the pool. I don't know Uh, what to uh, tell you. Same thing as a guy, (laughs) identical. But no, I mean, like people said things like, I want to be able to have my firstborn daughter. Like that was something that was very interesting about the dissertation, because at this point, gender ideology was taking hold already in academia, 2015 at school. But none of the women that we were talking to mentioned gender at all. In fact, some of them said, well, I, I take it for granted, I can change my gender if I want to. Um, but that wouldn't make me not physically a woman. The challenge to sex hadn't yet happened. So but, gender is but what, what would be the change then? That's
0: what I'm kind of trying to figure out. If it's not what, that, then what's the change?
1: Well, if you're changing your sex, you'd go from having a vagina to having a penis. Yes, but in the case of gender, what is the change? Oh, I, I didn't ask about gender because I consider it such an ambiguous concept as a client. Um, I actually, I'm very curious about this. This is something I've done basic preliminary surveys on what, So if you define your, I guess it would be gender, it wouldn't be your sex. If you define your sex identity, let's say, as something different from kind of your chromosomal order and the reproductive system you have and so on, it's actually really easy to break down what sex is. You would just say eliminating intersex people, the the definition is X, you know, a non-all XX chromosomal order and so on. It takes about 30 seconds. But if you're defining sex identity as something other than sex, what does it mean? And I've never gotten a quantifiable answer to that. Not necessarily picking a fight with the trans movement right now, but I've I've never heard anyone say, well, clearly it's these exact 17 things that involve stereotyping in modern society. So to say I'm changing my gender could be as simple as me saying I am a woman. So I, did, I didn't ask about gender. I specifically said, like, the question asked things like your, your breast would vanish, you would change, you'd become a man, but you would have your full set of, you know, recent past and resolute and so on memories, would you do it? And women said no, because then I wouldn't be able to get pregnant and give birth, or then I'd have to worry about sexual assault allegations as a male. It was, it was very specifically focused on the sex component of this. Gender wasn't really mentioned at all.
0: Very interesting. So going back then to the very past, why a professor? Why this particular career? And I know you were in business before as well. So what prompted the switch?
1: Well, I think that some things you just generally do. Um, if the academic job offers I've gotten had all sucked, if none of them had been from, you know, state views or interesting thinking institutions, I mean, you know, I probably would have just stayed in the working world. But generally, when you get a Ph.D., you go teach in academia to the point where this is almost a joke. Like if you ask someone, what are you gonna do with a black studies degree? They will say, teach other people to get black studies degrees. So I I graduated from law school when I was very young, I think I was 20. And I had done pretty well, but I was also kind of an immature jackass in law school. So I didn't wanna go into what I was primarily training for. So I guess would have been white collar criminal prosecution. If you look at the classes I took, it was very serious, most of the grindstone, so on. Um, And I got an offer from Southern Illinois, which in political science is a top hundred program. It's also located in a fun kind of party school environment. And they asked, do you want to come down here and get a PhD for free for four or five years? And I said, yeah, sure. I'll, you know, work on my Frisbee skills. So I went back to Carbondale, Illinois, and this actually stretched into a very long period of time. I mean, my mom got sick. I went back to Chicago. I worked as a traveling canvas activist for the human rights campaign for years. So this was like street canvassing in hostile areas for these causes that would make people want to fight you, like gay rights. Um, it's a very enjoyable job. A lot of people, almost everyone was mid-20s, a lot of college athletes on break and so on. People would pretty frequently have uh, office romances would be a polite way to put it. You know, there's there a good deal of a hostile encounter with the general populace who's standing there like, hey, you got a minute for gay love. Uh, so this went on for... A couple of years and I got tired of getting in arguments and fights with people. I guess I I guess
0: it also depends on how they interpret that question.
1: Yeah, you never know. Uh, But I mean, no, definitely like complete strangers would hit on you, would sometimes offer sex. I mean, I've had that happen from men and women, um, you know, 50 pounds ago and I still street canvassing. But I mean, it was it was a fascinating job. Like one of the things that's really interesting about this is that there's this whole organized sort of mercantile enterprise on the political left that I don't think a lot of people are aware of, where organizations like the Human Rights Campaign will retain an organization, let's call them the People's Project, because I still have some fond feelings for them, but tell them to provide canvassers to run a campaign either locally or across states, sometimes in a pretty dangerous region, sometimes a political campaign, and the People's Project will hire 5,000 reasonably tough looking people that have no real background in what they're doing, in gay rights campaigning or whatever, and we'll send them to this area, and it's a pretty competitive process. I mean, generally, you have to at least once every three days make a pretty large amount of money. That's known as quota, which might be, say, five hundred dollars. If you don't, you're fired on the spot. Um, Turnover is about ninety-nine percent. But the people that rise through these ranks become kind of the chicks on the left. Like I've kept in touch with friends in that network, and they're they're now working for the Environment Americas, and so on down the line, sparring with politicians. So it's one of the most intense uh, kind of feeding frenzy jobs I've ever been in, in terms of what your actual chances of success are. Um, but anyway, so I got tired of doing that uh, after a while. and You know, good, good enough causes. But the other thing Chicago is known for is being kind of the, in addition to, you know, radicalism and arts and so on, is being the mercantile hub for the Midwest. So I basically just, if someone is going for a PhD, went down to LaSalle Street and got a job. Like I worked in the international headquarters for Marcus Evans, the uh, British company known for aggressive outreach to CEOs. Um, I sold high-end ads for a while. Uh, Interviewed with Goldman, never really worked on the trading side of things. But anyway, I did a bunch of like city kid crap. I managed a nightclub for a while until I got the degree. And then it was just sort of like, well, let's see, let's see what this does. I'm very stable financially because of all these crazy jobs. Um, So I, I applied. And if you come from an SIU or a U of I, you're going to be getting interviews probably generally the next level down in Western Wisconsin or something like that. And so I got Kentucky State, that sort of thing. I I liked the Kentucky State pitch, which is that we're a historically black college in Appalachia. Like it seemed like an actual chance to help kids on both sides of that divide. So when they they made a reasonable salary offer and I came, that's basically how I wound up as a college professor. And, you know, they haven't fired me yet. So glad to be here. And the
0: excellent. And do you think they will fire you or what is the uh, situation on campus right now when it comes to uh, the amount of teachers that operate as you do, as opposed to those who do not?
1: I don't, I don't think they're going to fire me. Um, first, I have a good relationship with most of our executive team. Um, I also have a tenure contract. It's fairly hard to fire tenured professors. There we I, go. I, I haven't seen any hostility here. I also will say historically black colleges. I mean, I spent some time in black business as well. I mean, the, even the club I ran was a minority-owned institution. KSU, the entire, the president is black. Generally successful minority businesses where you have an Asian guy or a middle-class black guy even a, an urban Jewish guy uh, in charge, there, there's a little less wokeness. I guess maybe the kid of any of those three could still slant toward the woke, but it's hard for a group of black millionaires to feel particularly oppressed or to, to focus a lot on the white man. So at KSU, I mean, I, I think the focus is more getting fairly well-performing black kids into medical school than it mm. is on, you know, painting your hair pink and marching around the campus. Well, that seems to mostly be an up-middle class white thing, for whatever reason. No, definitely that yeah, is definitely the case. I was, was going to say that. And, yeah, well, and welcome,
0: by the way, to Daniel. Uh, thank you so much for coming in here. Uh, w- wonderful young man, uh, up-and-coming uh, YouTube star. I don't know uh, how else to describe you, but uh, thank you so much for coming in.
3: Well, I would say I would say free thinker, not necessarily YouTube star, but yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me again, love. I, I really appreciate the invitation.
0: Absolutely and uh, you're experiencing uh, what right now going on in your uh, your school situation as far as the environment Just uh, j- just a bit in general, uh, what does it feel like to you personally?
3: Well in, in my school specifically, I, I wouldn't say that uh, the situation with, with wokeness as uh, we call it is not as extreme as other examples. so the 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 more uh, I guess egregious examples, uh, of wokeness would be separating uh, children by race uh, and whatnot. We haven't reached that that stage, mm. at least not yet. We actually have a pretty, a pretty unwoke alumni who have a who have a pretty large like they they, ha- they have a large say in the direction uh, the school uh, the direction the school takes. And so, for example. Uh, with the SHSAT, there's a, a huge debate about whether the SHSAT is racist and if uh, and if that should, SHSAT should be removed uh, for more holistic um, for more holistic uh, ways to uh, get uh, more uh, Black and Brown children. But the alumni won't budge, and we've we've had the more um, uh, aggressive ideologues, whether it be uh, teachers or students as well. Uh, you know try to try to move the administration towards uh, removing the SHSAT but it, it hasn't really worked over here in, at Brooklyn Tech and Brooklyn Tech the, the the curriculum is pretty decentralized so what you're what you are learning is really dependent on the teacher that you have uh, fortunately for me I've had pretty great teachers for my uh, for the past year and I uh, I'm praying to God that I have really great teachers uh, this year as well. But yes, I've I've heard horror stories from my my friends who, you know, they would be in a U.S. history class and the teacher would only talk about systemic racism rather than actually teaching them about U.S. history. So it it really is uh, dependent on the student.
0: There we go. And by the way, what both you and Wilfred have in common, you are both admirers of Thomas Sowell, and uh, I am as well. So this brings me to uh, Oren McIntyre, and one thing that I wanted to uh, really discuss today is this quote, which I believe is from Dune. And this does relate, Wilfred, to what you were talking about with your uh, old uh, canvassing uh, days and the buddies who have uh, gotten more to the left from uh, you know, way, way back then. The quote is thus... When I am weaker than you, I ask you for freedom, because that is according to your principles. When I am stronger than you, I take away your freedom, because that is according to my principles. So, I'm curious, uh, actually I want to start with Oren here. What does this quote personally mean to you, as far as what we're currently going through right now? And then I want to uh, get a response from uh, Wilfred as well.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's pretty self-explanatory to our kind of current moment, but a lot of people, especially kind of on the left, uh, who have been starting to make that transition to the center or to the right, have have done so primarily based on I you know free speech grounds. You hear a lot of this from like you know Glenn Greenwald and uh, guys like Dave Rubin, and they'll say you know the, i was part of the left because they were the ones that were for free speech they were the ones for you know inquiry they were the ones for uh, open society where we examine everything uh and now all of a sudden that's changing and really uh you know what a large amount of the left uh, was u- using that kind of narrative for was to enter into institutions to make sure that they could Uh, you know, uh, be able to enter into the halls of power, and they could bring alternative ideas in there, and they could be persuasive. And that's, of course, exactly what you want to do when you're looking to change the culture. Uh, But for, you know, for some leftists, that was truly what they believed in. And so they were surprised when the people who they thought were on their side, suddenly started to close the door behind them, uh, because they started to realize that these people never actually held those values, or if they held them, they held them very loosely. And now that the, they had acquired the power that they had been seeking for decades, it was time to go ahead and roll up that ladder behind them. And so you, st- you do have some of the, the people who really did have those core principles uh, making a lot of noise and, and kind of leaving those circles. But in large percentages, the left is fine with kind of slamming that door because they know how they got to where they are, and they're certainly not going to leave that avenue open uh, to their opposition, which is why if you say anything remotely right-wing in many different businesses, many different campuses, dip, places in media, you'll be immediately canceled uh, because they know that they can simply not leave this avenue that they use to enter into the halls of power open to their enemies now that they occupy them.
0: And uh, Wilfred, would you agree with that uh,
1: statement? I'd agree with quite a lot of it. I mean, in political science, in a lot of the great sci-fi and fantasy books draw pretty heavily on the work of the political philosophers. I mean, a lot of them are better than some of the nonfiction stuff that you see in terms of human relationships. But I mean, the the question is, how much do you tolerate intolerance? I mean, this is a real question that's come up, I mean, at least since the Roman and British empires rule religious fanatics of different stripes. I mean, if someone's belief is, you know, I'm a traditional Islamist, perhaps on the Shia side, or I'm a communist, I think that I have the way, the truth and the light. And whenever I'm in power, I'm going to pass laws that are going to enforce the way, the truth and the light. Um, What is that person's role within your society? Like, do you allow them to talk while you have power? It's an interesting question. Uh, The the short answer has to be, yeah, most of the time, I think, but with some social, not legal sanction and with a response automatically ready from your society, but uh, also with the recognition that if they ever take charge, no one else gets to talk. And I, I think the one thing that surprised a lot of people, this seems to be more of an issue in America on the left. I mean, I think the hard right is at least as crazy as the hard left when you look at the claims. No diverse society has ever worked. The world is 6,000 years old. I mean, it's on on down the pipeline. But I don't think the hard right right now, the truly hard alt-right, has any institutional power whatsoever, whereas the hard left controls a lot of discourse. I mean, academia, media, social media, the NGO sector, they're a power on par with, say, the center right. So, I mean since the 1950s really kind of getting to the point yeah this this has come up where you have coalitions between people who are essentially communist or ethno-marxists and people who are just genuine good faith liberals that want health care and what you normally see is kind of the hyena dog problem like the communist or ethno-marxist quote-unquote eat everybody else destroy the coalition take it over and you see a lot of the people, this this very much went on in the 1960s with Horowitz and so on, and the neoliberals and the new left, people that originally were part of that coalition have to flee away from the true believers, generally to the center of the right. Um, what do you do about it? Uh, the one answer would be teach honest history, but that's harder to do because so many of the people that are on the ethno-Marxist side are the people running some of these disciplines. The One actual comment about this, without getting into right-wing paranoia, um, I believe it was Antonin Gramsci, the uh, far left philosopher decades ago, encouraged what he called rids to take over kind of the means of discourse. And he said pretty bluntly, like R- the rids aren't very likely to dominate most national militaries, right, or take over agriculture or institutional religion, which he recognized as a powerhouse. I still would, you know, sport, although they have made some inroads there, it surprises me. But that sort of thing. So you, you go where your people are more likely to be found and you control what people hear. And to a remarkable extent, that has happened to to such an extent that absolutely mainstream perspectives like biological sex is real are now often presented as though they were the 49 percent minority and something that in, in truth, perhaps one percent of people believe was the, the most acceptable thing to say. So it's a problem. Uh, I don't know an automatic solution. It, it's been fought in the West for centuries.
0: And well, uh, one one question that I'm going to raise in the chat here to uh, Wormhatcher is what system would uh, prevent this problem from happening? Because I think the consensus from a lot of people that are pissed off about what's going on right now is that, hey, this is liberalism's fault. Liberalism came in, gave everybody rights, and now the people who uh, are liable to abuse those uh, the most – are not, uh, you know, nothing's being done against that. So what exactly do you do do about that? I am not for any kind of uh, totalitarianism. I think that those experiments are, uh, you know, we could see the results in... uh, when they're actually activated what happens i mean for one thing the dictator can get uh, crazy you know their descendants can get crazy and very paranoid as we've seen with somebody like stalin for example as well as them hiring very stupid people to be around them because they're afraid of smart people overturning their power you know uh, taking them out so regardless though i am curious uh, what you think about the uh, question of liberalism itself how sturdy of a system is it and could there have been certain tweaks before we got to the point where we are right now that would have been able to preserve a lot of the things we like as opposed to the things that we do not?
3: Well, is it is it really liberalism's fault or is it uh, due to a certain uh, decay within our liberal societies? I mean, we, we've we seen a, a, a philosophical over, uh, overthrow of many different civilizations who didn't subscribe to liberalism as well. And I I'd reckon that what we're seeing here is the, uh, the natural result after a natural decay of liberalism, if that makes sense. And so we have, we have certain philosophical tenets that are binding and do not let, would not let certain tenets at the left uh, espouse today, uh, Become mainstream, like for example, one Western motif is finding the truth. Yet, with critical race theory um, and other and uh, other theories, theories that come from uh, that has almost a postmodern bent to it. This idea of of one truth, one singular truth, has uh, been sort of cut off. And so, is it really liberal? That and and this idea of truth is a binding feature of liberalism right uh when you are when we are debating certain topics we are debating uh using the truth and figuring out what we need to do uh to solve a problem or to or to tweak a a configuration right and and so if if a certain if 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 we have right now many different leftist ideologies that posit that truth is the product of truth is the product of the white man or uh, patriarchal in nature, you know, then that, that tenant, that's not liberalism's fault. That's a whole different uh, value hierarchy. I don't know, Danny, my argument is
2: that it is liberalism's fault. It's the term, it's not just a decay, it's the apotheosis of liberalism. Like my, my contention would be that the, to place it into an external thing such as Marxism, I think some, to some degree, I mean, but the problem is the system itself contrary to what Lev was saying has produced these outcomes whether we like it or not no I'm saying I'm not, saying, I'm not well.
0: saying it did not produce these outcomes what I'm saying is what would be in place that eventually would not produce these same kind of outcomes other than a dictatorship which would rise and fall anyway so I don't really see any way out of here unless I don't know uh, Orin or Wilfred if you guys have any ideas. Uh-huh.
1: I have a a quick comment here. I mean, I do think that this, uh, how to deal with the problem of tolerating intolerance is an institutional feature specifically of liberalism, by which I suppose I would mean something like modern Western conservative or leftist non-dictatorial societies with rights, something along those lines. Because if you allow everyone to kind of say their piece and someone says, for example, there was a debate on my Twitter page earlier today between uh, sort of hoteps and right wing white guys about whether women mm. should be allowed to vote. And I mean I, I eventually shut this nonsense down. But in the in the USA you have the ability to mm. say that.
0: Wait, what side were the hoteps on?
2: Well I think no one has oh, a right to vote but
0: both of them, both of them opposed
1: women voting. Oh gotcha. Um, they were arguing Based. about the a great
2: wing alliance.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Well, actually, that that would be true on a lot of things. Um, I mean, you know, the Hoteps and the alt-righters would agree on a bunch of stuff. But anyway, in in all seriousness, though, in the USA, you absolutely have the right to stand up on a soapbox or to use an Internet platform with 87,000 followers and say women shouldn't be able to vote. It's a characteristic of free speech societies. I mean, generally, the assumption in political science is that the one type of society that can avoid this sort of thing is a dictatorship or a monarchy, I mean, if you want to draw distinctions, so on down the line, the problem with that is that a a simple way to say this might be that other societies that believe in some kind of absolute right, whether that's the NRX, right of the king to rule, um, whether that's the right of Islam to be the one religion in the world, whether that's the communist dialectic, societies that believe in, you know, the one truth and the sword are pretty good at shutting down other representatives of other societies that believe in the one truth on the sword. The problem is that they don't have kind of the liberal free exchange that we take for granted. You can't say shit about the king in a monarchy. It's actually a crime, a laissez-majeste if I have that pronounced correctly. I'm French is in a language I speak. But I mean, so that that is the issue. If you have a free society, everyone gets to say their piece freely no matter how idiotic it is. I will say that I, to some extent, when you talk about the fault of liberalism, I do think that there are confident liberal societies and then there are non-confident liberal societies. So societies that have a lot of faith and trust in their principles, like the USA for All Our Flaws is a pretty good society. We were the first large scale modern democracy, so on, tend to shut this sort of thing down pretty quickly. I mean, for example, you're now seeing discussion of laws against certain CRT practices like telling white kids they're evil. Uh, It really surprises me that there's a a coherent movement against doing that. You shouldn't tell black kids they're evil either. Uh, And I would suspect that going back into the 1950s or something like that, the majority of people would have had no problem, let's say, preaching about the overthrow of the government being against the law. In fact, it was. So kind of getting to the point, I, I think one issue here is that we've gotten so used to this kind of stuff. Extreme left nonsense has become so pervasive in our institutions that it's actually eroding confidence in the country. So that that's what people mean when they use terms like institutional takeover. The majority of kids now think that communism is good and capitalism is bad. And they think that because someone told them this.
4: Yeah, but these, these uh weaknesses that you're pointing out in the system were predictable, which is why Gramsci pointed them out. Like this, you know, he's rotting away in Mussolini's prison and he's saying, you know, why is Russia have a successful revolution and I'm trapped here? And he figures out that, you know, Western countries are t- basically too rich to, to have this pull off. So you need a different access with which to actually attack. And so he predicts all of these weaknesses and outlines how to exploit them. And Burnham warns about this in Suicide of the West. He says, you know, liberalism is uh, is Western suicide. It's, it's, this is how it's going to fall. And so the, the problem is that these weaknesses are not new, they're not unique, they're, they haven't just come about because of a new, you know, radical leftist ideology that has somehow, you know, unmoored it. These have always been things that people not only uh, predicted and foresaw, but actively targeted with these ideologies, and we're extremely successful at doing so. I don't think this is some new manifestation in the last 20 or 30 years. I think this is something that has been predictable all the way back, you know, you know, almost 100 years, and people called out, saw it coming, planned how to use it, and did so
2: successfully. Well, even a thousand years, I mean, John Glubb for instance, um, analyzed the decline of certain empires in the Arab world, where in his paper, uh, what was it called? The I think it was just simply called the Decline of the West, um, but he he talks about a lot of similar themes when a society loses its sort of its eth- its sort of uh, thumos and its identity and its impulse towards self-preservation. I think the the question is very interesting when it comes to America and Canada, well, where I'm from, or or these sort of multicultural countries, because in, in a country that does have a majority of a let's say a racial or a cultural or a religious population, it's much easier to make the case that they have a right to preserve themselves from harmful ideas. But in a multicultural society, I don't know, it's kind of, it's a very difficult question. I mean, but uh, well, what I wanted to ask, just if we want to continue this point, but what I want to ask Professor Riley, I also come from a political science background. I have, I unfortunately didn't, well maybe fortunately didn't ascend to the PhD level, the master's level. But uh, I was more the theory in a political science. But um, just to play devil's advocate, what would you say, as someone who's very quantitative in your analysis, that uh, I'm just thinking of, like when I was in you know methods courses and critical methods courses, uh, we were you know taught people like Iris Young. uh, What was her book called? Um, Justice and Difference in Political Economy, something like that, about the sort of critique of a very quantitative outlook in the social sciences. We started this conversation off with discussions of, for example, how do we measure happiness? How do we measure gender preferences? I, As much as I'm not of that sort of, you know, postmodern feminist persuasion, I do think that there are some critiques towards a quantitative outlook, specifically when it comes to political questions dealing with the human subject. So how would you defend The criticisms of specifically those, let's call them studies departments, who would critique a very sort of numbers based and statistical average based approach to how we solve various questions in political economy and so forth.
1: Well, I think I think there are two points there. Um, First of all, I think a lot of purely quantitative analysis is worthless. Um, it's not that I, I'm I'm not like really, I think a lot of, a better way to say that would be, I think a lot of it is brilliant theoretical philosophy that we can discuss without resolution. A lot of it is equally brilliant inspiration where you, I mean, I generally try to have a qualitative person if I'm thinking about a serious paper where we can parse out what a concept is. So To some extent, I'm teasing the the non-correcting folks, but I think that there are really two levels to this. When, when you're discussing what is basically philosophy, like political theory about what the best society is, I do think some of that can be quantified, but I also think a lot of the qualitative stuff is intelligent and worth listening to. I think that a bigger issue I have with ideas like white fragility, for example, is that these are explicitly quantitative ideas. Mm. Um, I'd, be, I'd be very willing to talk to D'Angelo, the author of the book, and see how she would quantify this or something like that. But there's a claim that, although I don't think she's put a lot of thought into that, But there's a claim that's being made. I mean, she's saying on, I think, page 16, that if you expose white people to critiques about their race, they're going to be more sensitive than people of color. That's the whole thesis of the book. White people don't have to ever hear racial critiques, to which I'd say, what? But anyway, white people don't ever, in post 1960s America, hear critiques of their race. Just constant compliments of whites, especially males. And so whites are more sensitive And when they hear a critique, they are more likely to react with anger or violence. That's the book. That's really, really testable. I mean, you could set up a focus group where you ask a group of 15 people, what are the major stereotypes of whites and blacks? And I'm pretty sure if you had a diverse racial group, you'd get them all. And then you would confront people with those stereotypes You'd say, do 100 structured interviews where you'd ask the white guy. You know, people often accuse your group of being a bunch of pampered racist beer drinkers uh, how, on a one to 10 scale. How angry does that make you feel? If you really had good grant funding, I mean, you could wire electrodes to these people's heads. Like, it wouldn't be hard to test this at all. Then you would do it with the black group. So people accuse you guys of being a bunch of low IQ criminals. I'm not endorsing either of these stereotypes, by the way. I'm white and black. But I mean, how do the black guys react? I think you'd find something very similar to what I did during my dissertation Similar levels of anger with the minorities have been the lead. Like I don't, I don't think there's any white fragility at all because I think there's an empirical way to test that. You can act like an asshole to a white person and see if they react any differently than a black person or a Hispanic guy. And as someone who drives in traffic in a city, I, I've seen no evidence of this ever. So that that that's my response. Obviously, there's a place for qualitative philosophy and theory. It's often jokes aside the bedrock of what we do. But when people start making what are quantifiable points. When people start saying whites lead the world in cultural appropriation or there's a massive amount of white privilege once you adjust for social class or blacks or whites or whatever the group might be are more fragile, which is a hell of a thing to say about another group of people, especially and perhaps stereotypically, but males, that's, that's a testable hypothesis. Is that true? So do 10 different tests where you confront people with different stereotypes and see if it is. And I think we can all objectively at some level know that it's probably not. Last very quick point about the studies fields. Uh, Peter Bogosian, a nice guy, casual friend of mine, uses the term idea laundering, where he says that very often, if, if, for example, you guys, a bunch of obviously like smart, witty, to some extent, laymen, master's degrees and so on. If you were to comment on anything from COVID-19 to feminism, uh, a typical response would be something along the lines of, what are you, a doctor? You know, like the immediate reply would be, shut up. You're not dealing with the science. And a great deal of the science, when you look in the grievance studies fields, is sort of the non-quantitative portion of a sociology paper quoting a non-academic book by Ibram Kendi that was published a few years ago. But because this, this sentence is now in a paper, it's taken and it can be quoted in other scientific papers. So a thousand people say something like, obviously all group gaps are the result of racism, which is just straight up nonsense. And I think a lot of intelligent people intuitively recognize that this is nonsense along the lines of, you know, women don't have vaginas the conversation point earlier, but are very often sort of bluffed and shamed out of expressing why they feel this way. Um, I don't, when you get into things that can be quantified and discussed academically, I don't think that there's any particular reason to treat a claim that began in the qualitative space any differently. It's true or it's not.
2: Well, another follow-up would be, uh, before we move on okay. is when it comes to the qualitative sorry the quantitative aspects even um what is your opinion on they have a specific acronym for them but they're the unconscious bias tests you know those ones oh yeah, yeah. iat's yeah i IAT, there you go what is your opinion on when people try to like quote unquote prove the racism of white people by giving them this sort of hermeneutic of suspicion test as i would call it like what what do you think of those that type of quantitative approach to determining, like how racist uh, one group or the other is.
1: So, I mean, first of all, the hermeneutic of suspicion is a good line. Um, my my take on this is that right now there are all, so this actually gets into a broader conversation, what's sometimes called the culturalist hereditarian critical debate across social science. Are gaps between groups of people due to culture, which I think is pretty obviously the answer. There's a 400% spread in incomes among white American groups admitted during the same time historically through the same immigration process. You know, Cajuns, Frenchmen and French Canadians make dramatically different amounts of money. I don't I don't see how there could be a genetic or a racism based explanation for that. Um, But so there's culturalism, there's hereditarianism, which says that genes play at least some role here. I think they're probably wrong, but there are people like Bo Wingard and Noah Carl that have, at least until the Great Awakening, uh, taught in pretty prestigious colleges and said this. And then there's CRT, which is the argument that all of this must be due to some advanced form of racism. And I think that right now, CRT is the most publicly acceptable of the, these platforms, which have fought each other about equally for 50 years. And I mean, it's silly to deny any of them exist. Um, but so we tend to focus, getting to the point, we tend to focus a lot of time on trying to find racism. So like there's stereotype threat where the idea that being thought worse at a test makes you do about 3% worse if you actually read through the papers. They, they rarely pull out the coefficients and say, okay, this is 2%, but I've done it a few times. It's not a massive effect. There is implicit association, implicit bias, which is the idea that many people, especially whites have subtle forms of prejudice against women, the poor, blacks and the like, okay. And this, this just goes on and on. There are audit studies where you prepare identical resumes for, say, a white guy and an Asian guy, and you send them into a white business, although I will note, never an Asian business, and you find that the white guy is 7% less likely to get hired. I think all of this is looking at this one variable because that one variable is acceptable. Like I think that if you were to look at study time among white, black and Asian kids, you would find, or white, black, Asian, and Nigerian kids, and Nigerians probably be everybody, but you would find gaps that are like 30, 40% effects on grades. We wouldn't be talking about 2% here. People don't do that because it's less socially acceptable. For that matter, I don't I don't really think this effect would sustain across races. But if you just looked at the individual level at how smart people's mothers were, and then how well they did in life, you'd find like a 0.8 correlation. So there's a really intense attempt to focus on racism right now because that's the okay one of the 10 variables that have an effect to talk about. Um, What do I think of IATs? I think that your level of implicit bias has the usual two or 3% effect on how you do in life. It's very, very low. Um, I test as biased against whites, interestingly enough. Like I'm black, white and native. I'm from a big city. I took the test and I tested as strongly biased against Caucasians. I took it with my girlfriend who was white and it was just sort of like, I don't know about this. What does this mean? What it means in practice is that they identify a slower level of reactivity to like a member of a rival group's face. I said rival group, I might be a bigot. But a slower reactivity time to a white or black or whatever face as a sign of bigotry. You're slower to say very good when you see the face of someone you might perceive as an opponent. This even extends to people wearing rival athletic jerseys and so on. The question is, what difference that makes in life? Like I grew up in a tough Chicago neighborhood, so I wouldn't be surprised if I saw either hood African-Americans or athletic looking whites or skinheads, members of a whole bunch of groups as potential enemies. But would that affect me in the hiring process where I'm pretty sure the client's not a black Panther or a Nazi? I mean, I can't imagine it does, and we don't find that it does. That, well, that's the short well, form there. Well, uh, this brings me to
0: uh, the uh, debate that you had with uh, Jared Taylor. One of the things that you were asking in the auditorium is, you know, how many of you guys would, uh, you know, start a riot with each other? Obviously, nobody would. But that brings me to an interesting, um, a- an interesting comparison where, on one hand, we were talking about— the Ivy League college uh, kids being the next generation of leaders who would start to create a lot of this uh, racial tension uh, from their uh, leftism. That would be on the top of the totem pole, let's say, uh, society-wise. On the bottom of the total totem pole, though, you would have situations like uh, Jared Taylor discussed as uh, were happening, let's say, in California with the uh, black, black kids versus Mexican kids uh, riots that were going on. And that is a very important question for me, where if there is somebody like, uh, you, know, you know, anybody like uh, Daniel or anybody who uh, would uh, come to me who I would speak with for just one minute... I would instantly be able to tell a lot about where they're coming from, instantly be able to tell, let's say, what level of civilization somebody is on, regardless of uh, where they came from, purely by how they're able to speak, what they think about, you know, all kinds of uh, telltale signs. But then we have a lot of people who, just like in any society in any part of the world, you do have people who are not as educated are you know, like much lower class, and uh, when it comes to the tensions that build up there and how exactly those tensions can be addressed, I'm curious uh, looking back on the uh, conversation uh, debate that you have with Jared Taylor, uh, what exactly would you say would be the way out for those more uh, low income groups as far as there being more harmony and stability?
1: Well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of honesty, and I think a lack of honesty, a lack of the sharing of widely accepted scientific results in many cases makes discussions like this far more complex than they have to be. So first of all, one of the things that I disagreed with and still disagree with Jared Taylor on is the idea of racial immigration versus merit immigration. So I mean, people on the alt, the the alt political right dissident right whatever will often trot out things like, well, right now Hispanics perform at x level on the IQ boards. Um, are less successful as performative athletes in the USA than whites or blacks. You could go through levels of this stuff. Why would we allow Hispanic immigration? And the answer, other than calling out some of the actual racism, there, like 70% of Hispanics are Caucasian. So there has to be, at least to some large extent, a non-genetic explanation for this. I mean, what, what do you see in the second generation? What do you see in the third? But in addition to just sort of saying, well, hey, a lot of that sounds pretty bigoted, an actual empirical response is, why don't we just have merit immigration? Why don't we just set a baseline IQ, fitness, et cetera, standard for immigrants and then let in anyone who meets it? I haven't noticed that there's any white hostility to Japanese or Ghanaian or whatever immigrants whatsoever. There's not. I mean, there's extremely high levels of welcome for both groups, over 85 percent. So that that's the answer. I don't think di- in a sense, I don't think diversity per se is the issue if you look at Singapore and so on. People with bachelor's degrees and good jobs don't generally. Fight Although, it well, Jared
2: Taylor would say that the Japanese are kind of like white people, though, in some ways.
1: It's just made up nonsense. I mean, so Jared Taylor, oh. but Jared Taylor is an intellectual guy. But this is this is something we've started to see. Have you guys seen that clip when wokes and racists think like? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The dumb joke, but they go through like fifteen things, like black and Asian people that do really well in school are just white. Um, I I think you see this on the hard right and you see this on the hard left. Obviously, if there are any two groups that are more distinct from traditional Western civilization, you know, knights versus samurai versus Bantu warriors, it would be Japanese people and West African people who are the two most welcome in many ways groups of immigrants into the United States. So I don't think you can just look at a Japanese guy and a Nigerian guy and say, oh, those guys are white. That sounds like nonsense. But, but, um, but then the interesting thing here is
0: that among the West African immigrants, if we're talking about uh, uh, people like you mentioned from Nigeria, from what I understand, uh, when they would come here, they would assimilate really well because they're already on top of the ball as far as education goes. But if we are, again, talking about people who are here right now in America who are, you know, on a very low educational level, that problem seems to be kind of um, shoved, shoved under the bed in a no lot problem. of these conversations. And I want to figure out, like, how can we— yeah, the- the
2: other argument in the chat is that they accept them because there's so few of them compared to Hispanics who or- are- Well, no,
0: but there are so few of educated people in general, you're always going to have more dumb people than smart people. So as far yeah. as how do we how, how do we deal with this situation where we do have just, in general, in the world, we have a lot well, of- I actually uh, think yeah. there's,
1: there's a pretty clear answer to that in quantitative political science. Be honest, have merit immigration. A final line would be, recognize that race, when it causes hostility, is usually a proxy for other things. Um, I find that, again, both the alt-right and the hard-left tend to confuse a lot of concepts, this might sound like wonky BS, but that are genuinely valid and worth separating in a quantitative academic paper. So race and ethnicity are not the same thing, for example. People will very frequently say, well, if you look around the world, the most conflicted societies are the most diverse. Well, kind of. I mean, I I unpacked this for a paper for uh, the Midwest Political Science Association conference once. And I found out that all of those conflicted, diverse societies are either all white or all black. So like one of them was Tanzania, one was Congo, one was Bosnia, one was Afghanistan. And you can just go on straight down the line. Like it's totally fair to say there's a lot of ethnic diversity in the former Yugoslavia, but everyone there is white. And I don't mean to sound racist, but as an upper middle-class black American. They look identical to me. When you look at Bosniaks versus Serbs, versus Croats versus Jews, versus Roma, You're looking at a bunch of dark skinned white people who to me resemble poets. Like it's just, it's a very specific population group. They've all been fighting for a thousand years. So that is, that kind of tribalism, which actually is a precursor to sort of stable civilized racial diversity, by the way. You're not necessarily a trading entry port where you have black and Asian merchants and so on if you're Afghanistan. Um, That is where you see the most violence and the most conflict. It is ethnic, it's not racial. In the USA, you could argue certainly that ethnic diversity, i.e. Caucasian-Hispanic versus Caucasian whites, Italians versus Irishmen back in the day, has been the cause of at least as much violence as black-white conflict. I recognize that. But it's a bit late for us to try to be an ethno-state in the USA. I mean, if you go to Wikipedia or Britannica, we have 89 distinct census ethnic groups in the USA, most of which are either white or black. So ethnicity has this effect. The question that's now being studied in political science, because there are so few integrated stable societies, Brazil, Singapore, USA, Canada, when it comes to race, the great racial populations, is does race have the effect ethnicity does? And it, it, seems to, it seems to depend. It doesn't. If you have merit immigration, so the Japanese and Nigerian and so on people entering are smart taxpayers that marry blondes or Americans of any other variety. If you admit large numbers of quote-unquote non-merit immigrants to a hyper-competitive society with a bunch of guns, yeah, you'll get violence. But my point here is that race itself, one sentence, is basically a proxy. It maybe is 5% different from ethnicity in either direction, but it's basically a proxy for other things like current test performance, income, so on down the line. So when people say there's a lot of poverty in Black communities, I mean... There's an equivalent amount of poverty in Appalachian communities where you're going to see similar academic performances, a similar history of oppression, similar rates of drug use, and so on down the line. I don't have any problem at all with saying there's a problem in both of those poor communities and there's a higher murder rate in the Black poor community. And then then at least you have a practical solution of, well, let's work on poverty. Well, well,
0: there is one other thing beyond poverty, something that Wormhatcher mentioned in the chat, where uh, Wormhatcher asked, assimilate to what, though? To market demands? This is another thing that's frustrating a lot of people, when it's not even so much about whether people who emigrate here would be educated or not educated. What I think people are concerned about is that the culture that the masses of us are going into anyway with this highly connected internet culture is one that does not have uh, roots to anything higher other than just mass consumption now you could say well that's not everybody but i wonder how many people it is where it actually does matter culturally because i don't want people to be these empty headed automatons that just get stimulated by uh internet stimuli either you know so don't want to hear oran's
2: yeah, uh, opinion on all this definitely
0: Oh, well, hold
3: on, but, oh, yes. but 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 groups that or I, I would say the successful groups that assimilate here aren't necessarily what they ask do they assimilate to market demands?
2: No, no, he means I mean, like like what is the what is the West, Western society offer these groups as opposed to their own like cultural identity culture, ethnic racial identity. Well I, think that I, was
3: the... well I can speak to experience. My my parents are immigrants, they're both Haitian and they're devout Christians. That's first of all. Uh, I I would say that a lot of the successful groups that come here are very, uh, they subscribe to the Protestant work ethic. That's one thing. It's not as if uh, like America doesn't have a culture at all. Uh, yeah, of course we have. Like, we're we're starting to have a consumer culture more and more uh, today. But there are certain uh, key, I guess, key, uh, key, I, I guess, figures of like American culture that that very successful groups. Uh, they they adapt very well to like for example uh blacks in the west indies they're very they're really family oriented uh and they're more likely to focus on education i know for for a fact my parents personally uh my dad wouldn't even let me play sports for a portion of my teenage years because he wanted me to study uh rather than uh, go and play soccer or basketball or whatever uh these these groups are again more religious and they 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 put their heads down and they go to work more and so uh, no it, it isn't just market demand there are certain things that really makes you a a a very productive American and a lot of the a lot of um, very successful groups who assimilate here has they have those those traits.
0: Hmm. Well, another comment that we have from uh, Lisa Boat here talks about how, and again, I don't have, I'm not the scientist here, I don't have any statistics on this, but this idea that this urge to succeed and want success for your kids it's not going to last the generations, and eventually that also is going to fade out over time, and the question is, what are people left with that they could resonate with? But let me go to Oren and then uh, Wilfred. So I'm curious, Oren, uh, what uh, what your take is on this idea of uh, concentrating on making money, having a good uh, job, obviously providing for your kids, but not really retaining some kind of a cultural, not even retaining cultural value, but not integrating into the culture that already is uh, part of the United States and what uh, ramifications that may have over time. So, Oren, go for it.
4: Yeah. So uh, let's see if I can craft an answer that's going to get me in trouble with everybody (laughs) here. Uh, So I I think that treating America as some kind of economic zone is a disaster. Uh, I think treating your nation as an economic zone uh, primarily is a disaster, and I think we're seeing exactly why. Uh, I will agree, to some extent, with Wilfred uh, that uh, you know, uh, you know, Oswald Spengler said that one of the worst things that ever happened was this idea that race is tied to genetics. That's he, right. said the, he said this is one of the most disastrous ideas that ever. Funny kind of
2: Evola said life. the same too. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so, so, so
4: I think there is, um, I think there is a lot of conflation with race and, and uh, ethnos and what they mean and what they mean for your nation. Uh, but at the same time, I would also say that the idea of just purely merit-based immigration and just bringing people in because they meet a certain IQ standard or a certain income standard, um, is also a, a horrible disaster designing your your polity on a spreadsheet is something that would have thomas Carlyle lighting the world on fire like it's just, it's just it's a great way to make sure that your your nation just enters a really cynical um and mercenary uh type of existence uh, i i think that uh you you need i i think that it's unhealthy to focus entirely just on the like you said, the pure genetics of of race. I don't think that that's a healthy identity uh, in and of itself for a nation, but I think also treating your nation as something that's transitory, uh, that people can just enter and leave at will, that is entirely creedal or entirely uh, economic or you know, or should only have those factors brought in is also uh, something that kind of spells doom for it as well.
1: Oh, Wilfred, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I I think, again, this gets into kind of the theoretical versus quantitative. I mean, they're good points on both sides. First of all, one of the issues with debating this, especially outside of an academic conference or something like that, is the many different meanings of words like race. So, I mean, or nation, where you have famous definitions going back hundreds of years, like a people living in a place. Um, In reality, the the traditional definitions of race, i.e. the sub races of the European race and so on, would have barred almost anyone who didn't resemble the early English settlers from the USA. I mean, in the 1700s or the 1800s, it would have been absolutely commonplace to speak of the German race or the Irish race. If you look at the 1924 Immigration Act, actually, the argument was that we needed to keep out those damn Southern and Eastern Europeans that became the Italian community, Jewish community, so they're savages and animals. I mean, it, the language used- well, is, we
2: are animals, I got to say.
1: That's we are part, we're all, party and, animals. Oh, but I mean, so, but the point is that obviously now today we would consider most of those people to be white. We've created an assimilationist identity to some extent. That's extremely common. Um, I wouldn't be surprised that as we trade with the highly successful Black Island nations and the growing Latin American powers and so on over the next hundred years that Chinese and we spar back and forth. There's an assimilationist identity called something like Westlandish. Used to refer to people who look like Americans but have integrated backgrounds. I'm, I'm making that up, but there's no reason at all mm. that wouldn't happen. That's essentially what happened with whites. There are very few distinctions between Irish and Italian Americans today. Mm. These groups hate each other. Although, um, although, it's,
0: although it's interesting that, like, if, if, I may be wrong about this uh, about Latin America, but I think that when it comes to Mexico, for example, there is sort of a caste system in place. Maybe there isn't. I don't know. You could tell me as well, far that's as even
2: kind of based on race as well, because it tends to be that in Latin America, the upper classes have more of an European admixture. That's not true everywhere. But I mean, yeah. Argentina and Mexico, it's certainly true. And, and it's, Brazil.
1: It's true in many Latin American countries, but it's also true that this this gets into the genetic culturalist crit interplay again. Um, All of the people in Mexico, with very few exceptions in some of the northern cities, are what we would describe as Mexican or Spanish or Hispanic. So the conflict there would be between people who might be 35 percent of pure Inca extraction and people who might be 70 percent of Inca extraction. Similarly, if you go to Brazil, certainly to Rio or any of the, the great cities on business, everyone's black. I mean, like they would go from there's some white there's some there are some people that are as Caucasian looking as people in Mexico. And there are some people that look like me. And both of those groups of people are slightly more likely than average to be rich. And from there, you go through every possible human variation, many quite lovely, until you get to a lot of people that look like Daniel. A slightly lower, but also high percentage of whom are also fairly wealthy. I mean, so it's, you can definitely say, well, they have that conflict between what they call, say, huero y negro. But I mean, all of those people would strike us as Mexican. Just as and I, I actually would, wouldn't be surprised if we got to something like that in the USA in a hundred years, where you're I mean you're now seeing, for example, I made the, the joke, but something that full-size school districts are doing of saying, well, they could just treat the Asians and West Africans as white. But there are there are multiple educational institutions that have done that. So I mean, after after 100 years, a hundred years, the century, will you have a white group that's you know five percent West African? You know, 5% Sephardic Jewish heritage, 10% Asian, at least probably more than that, given the pattern of relationships, but, you know, would identify as white. And then a black group that in fact could be 50% Latino or something like that, but would identify as black, maybe, mm. because these labels don't have anything. Race exists in the sense that 23andMe haplotypical categories of regional variation exist. So you can debate this. I've debated this online with people like Kevin Byrd that are in the genetics field. And they'll say, well, no, it doesn't. That's slightly different. But I can tell by taking a blood test, for example, that I am 40% uh, WAB, West African Bantu. I am 40% specifically Northern Celtic European. And I'm 20% Plains Indian. So that, that's the extent to which race exists. But that brings up the question of if your actual race is 40, 40, 20, which race are you in conventional terms? And in reality, I suppose I'd probably be accepted by the black team or the white team. I don't really care. i describe myself as mixed. I guess I would say black if I were filling out a small business loan application. But these these are the actual things that we see in modern America. Like All of your points are good, but to, to say we should recognize our, our heritage or something like that, well, that, what is that by this point? The I'll, I'll person-
0: give you an example. I'll give you an example. Let's say you have right. Hannibal who was the uh, African kid who was adopted by Peter the Great. I mean, maybe he did more things than, well, I'm not going to get into that part of it. But anyway, he was adopted by Peter the Great, and uh, Peter the Great raised him to, you know, learn multiple languages. And he uh, he had occupied a high position within the Russian government at that time. And uh, his great-grandson was Alexander Pushkin. So okay. if you were to ask me, you know, what culture does Alexander Pushkin, uh, who was, you know, partly black and uh, partly of a uh, Russian extraction, belong to, I would say definitely Russian. Not only that, but he was the guy who modernized the uh, Russian language to what we know it to be today. So he was able to seek out a particular culture that he wanted to be a part of, he wanted to contribute uh, towards, but he wasn't an empty consumerist. And that brings me again to the original question, which I don't think we got into that much, which is, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now that we have all of these interconnected uh, advertising networks that drag people into them in this modern condition where people don't really have time to, you know, let alone read somebody like Pushkin, you know, to do something
2: that would... But but one last point about race. Like, wouldn't class... I know it's like a... Quasi Marxist point but wouldn't class Play an issue wouldn't they say that You as a tenured professor Are somewhat more white Presenting than It's sort of like to the wokes it like negates your african-american or indigenous heritage that you are in fact a white person more or less essentially because of your class position or your academic position well, what would
3: not- you- well i will say oh, they'll I- classify him as white because of his uh, ideological position oh yeah I mean, that too that's because a- because what we uh, fail to recognize again and again is that these critical race there is when, when you refer to whiteness and blackness, it, it transcends skin color, right? And so, you know, at school, I would probably be called white just because I'm, uh, you know, center-right and I believe more in um, liberalism rather than the the woke uh, ideology that we have today. And so I guess when it comes to, when it comes to uh, Wilfred, you know, yeah, he may be 40, 40% black, but, you know, uh, because he, I guess, so uh, he has internalized the white portion of his uh, heritage, or of you know, uh, the white portion, then he, I guess, it, it will be more, um, it'll be better if they if they call them white. Hmm.
1: We're both wearing the polo blazer of oppression. I mean, it, it, <laughs> no, the whole thing, my, my point though, is just not to be crude, but this is this is all silly, bullshit. not you guys' analysis of it, which is excellent, but just th- this basic idea. Obviously, if being black means anything, it means being more than whatever percent of West African Bantu descent. I'd say half or close, whatever whatever. I am. You know, I mean, that—that that is what being black is. You can't point to a Chinese guy and say, well, he's black. Look, he's one of the best known hip hop artists in his region of Pusan. I mean, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So uh, the real question that we're getting to, I think, is does America still have a culture that we have the confidence to transmit that can allow us to welcome in immigrants of different racial and class backgrounds. I'd say in practice, the answer is yes. Um, there is an attempt to make this not the case from a loud chunk of the intellectual class. But I mean, when I just said like both of the two of the guys in the conversation, both of them are black are wearing the same brand of blazer, at least looks like it. Like that is, American culture is extremely immediately recognizable to anyone When you travel overseas as an American, I don't think a single Russian or Japanese or Frenchman would dispute that. Like, what are some components of it? I mean, the Christian religion, at least as a baseline was mentioned. Rates are slightly declining, but well over roughly two thirds of Americans identify as having a single faith tradition. Um, Dress and mannerisms. There's a very recognizable American style as versus the tighter European look. More importantly, language. I mean, virtually every member of the American middle and upper middle class speaks fluent English with a U.S. accent, laws. I think we, we all might criticize Me Too for going too far, but I mean, you can't behave with women as you would in either Brazil or Saudi Arabia in very different directions. There's a whole set of cultural norms that grow up around our attitude toward drugs, public sex, dueling, a whole bunch of things that have been legal in many societies and aren't or regulated here. There's the U.S. college system where if you're in the top half of the population, frankly, you're going to attend one of these institutions and learn about a whole bunch of things from wokeness, hopefully as a critic, to, you know, what RAs are. I mean, I I don't think it's very hard at all to identify Mm -hmm. an American. So, I mean, I, I think that the goal would be to take people in the immigration pipeline that are fairly high performing and then teach them to be Americans in this sense. And it's. You know easier said than
0: my, done, but... my my personal concern is a lot of these things they i'm sure that they're great and people enjoy them to me personally though my feeling is that it may be too surface level as far as the kind of things that you're talking well, wouldn't, about here Yeah, you say
2: yeah once you say that to make a spicier point that a lot of these things that we refer to let's say the sphere, right whether this is america i mean americans don't like to think of themselves but it's true the anglosphere um that they largely come from traditions that were born and bred by europeans large i mean germanic anglo some mediterranean some hellenistic but largely that the, these are a product of european traditions and that for people to come here maybe on a smaller level would be all right but after a certain threshold they tend to not have the same cultural or genetic or what have you memory of these ways of doing things that we like by and large, take for granted. I mean, again, that's a, That's mm. like what Jared Taylor was arguing, more or less. But
0: no, but still, I would include somebody like Pushkin as being a contributor to those same qualities, which I see. Yeah, yeah, in but the way you, but regardless. I'm
2: talking about as 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 large haplogroups. Let's just say as and on the term of like civilization,
1: right? Well, I think that rests on that rest that argument, which I've heard, and which can be intelligent, rests on the utilization of categories. That didn't exist for most of history. So I mean, when you say like people who recognize themselves as white Europeans or something like that created most of the framework for America, I would say that's not really true. I mean, I would say that English people, maybe Germans and Roman Italians, if you want to go back in history, created most of the institutional ideological framework for the West. Um, I would say that compared to blacks or Mexicans, Serbians, great people, but have contributed almost nothing to the the logistical structure of the USA. And the reason I phrased it that way is that I think when you say something like that, like the damn Bosnians have contributed nothing, it just sounds kind of bigoted and silly because the understanding is that a person from Bosnia would fall into many categories. They'd be a European, you know, they'd be a human, they'd be un-American. But the reality is that we haven't gotten a lot from that region of the world. The reason that a Bosnian guy would feel comfortable criticizing an upper middle class black guy for his contribution is that the Bosnian guy would now be seen as part of the larger white category. But the majority of those white groups, the Portuguese, I mean, almost anyone from the Iberian Peninsula in North America, you know, Hungarians, great people, and met a lot of them in the nightlife scene in Chicago, Polish-Americans. But they're not really responsible for the founding traditions. makes a few exceptions like Kazimierz Pulaski of the country. I would say that as long as we have a confident idea of national identity, and if you want to go to a deeper level, I mean, the most americans in the middle class can still recite a great deal of what's in the constitution everyone should be forced to by the way but i mean the the national founding principles we're the first democracy we're the destination democracy that accepts immigrants we are the integrated democracy so long as everybody performs we're willing to keep that going you know so on down the line i think that americans who learn those things tend to function pretty well like if you just pull up the wikipedia list of uh, immigrant groups for virtually anything income arrest rate so on down the line a great number of both white and black immigrant groups outperform both white and black America. Oh, by, by, long, by the way, real
0: quick, uh, Hans says, uh, who is Nikola Tesla? Good point, Hans. We can't forget about Tesla. Well, plus,
2: yeah, Philip said that Serbs were under the occupation of the Ottomans at that point. Yeah, that is, hmm. there was the Janissaries. Hmm. What about
1: Turks, then? I mean, that, that would include everybody. People of any sort of former Turkish subject race or Turks themselves. How many- well, do
0: you count Mount Ararat, where supposedly uh, you know Noah came? Okay, I'm not going to get into that. Oh, no,
1: no, holy, not no biblical. Uh, that I mean. So, but again, the, the question is, what are you talking about? So, like, it would be absolutely correct to say that. Let's just say was-
2: Anglo-Germanic is the founding stock of America. Let's
1: Amer- as we
2: know America today.
1: Yes, yeah, so and now is about 24 percent of the population. I right? like pure Anglo-German. I mean, like so. This is what I'm saying. Like the I, and the, I'm actually going to shut up because a lot of the other guys have had excellent points. I've been talking a bit during the sequence, but like just as a quick comment, there's a weird idea that people can't learn from one another. Like when you talk about culturalism online, you're almost certain to get from both the alt right and the CRT boys like where does culture come from? With the implication being either direct genetic lineage or racism. But the the idea is that that's the reality is that that's stupid. I mean, there's there's no other way to put it like culture, the transmission of basic cultural mimetic tropes. For example, everyone in the world uses gunpowder, for that matter, sex toys that come from the Chinese. Um, Everyone in the world uses the superior printing presses and structure of written alphabets that come from the Westerners. Everyone in the world uses, for example, coffee that comes from Ethiopia originally. Everyone uses a British, not white, not black system of organizing educational classrooms. Blah, blah, blah. But I mean, the point is that if someone comes in and they're a Nigerian lord, and you say, well, to enter this country, you're going to have to accept certain attitudes toward women and certain, you're going to have to study for this many years, accept the constitution. And they say, okay, I don't think that guy is going to make dramatically more or less of an impact on the country than a Turk or a Magyar who's confronted with the same question. And I mean, it's totally fair to say that neither Nigerian nor Magyars have prior to 1960 contributed much of anything to the USA. That's because there weren't any here. I mean, it, it, this, this gets back into these sort of online debates about whose ancestors invented the pig. I yeah. once spent a day in a conversation with, a, this is one of the reasons I got off social media to the extent I used to be on it. But I once spent a day in an argument with a bunch of West Africans, Chinese people, step Europeans, I guess, and Indians about whose ancestors invented certain breeds of cows. And at first it was fun, <laughs> but then it was just like, this is asinine, who the hell cared? Yeah. And I guess that's the question. Do you respect the other man's dairy herd today? Sort of is the is the question is, are you able to come into the USA and behave as a citizen? I mean, of course, Germans contributed more to the USA historically than either West. Ac- well, yeah. And then
0: well, the- if you count if you count NASA, they've recently contributed as well. But uh, that is one of those things that we don't really uh, talk about that much. Operation brought, Paperclip
1: brought a bunch of defeated Nazis over here. Um, and as long as they remembered they were defeated permanently, I don't have an extraordinary amount of trouble with that. Yeah. Like, Well, Internet then there's Operation
0: High Jump. But uh, OK. Anyway, uh, when it comes to uh, this notion, I agree with you. I think that if we have an open door policy and keep the uh, let's say uh, th- keep the uh, standard incredibly high. For the kind of, uh, you, you know, people we want to come over here regardless of where they're from, I don't think there's a problem. My concern with the notion that we can keep the standard high, I don't think we are keeping the standard high. So, uh, well, I want to get also to Or, or and then, uh, Daniel as well. Do you think that there would be any way to keep the standard high or not?
4: Sorry, are you going to me? Yes. Oh, well, okay. Uh no, well, um, and, I
0: would and, say.
3: Well, first of all, I would like.
0: Ooh, Daniel, I think you froze right now. So, uh, Oren, can you hear me? Let's go, Oren yes. first, and then Daniel.
3: Okay,
4: uh, I think that it's it's pretty clear. <laughs> like it's it's about as clear as possible that the standard. Is, is not high, good, and uh, is not
3: going to... Common,
4: oh, oh wait,
0: wait, wait, hold on. Da- Daniel. Daniel, I'm sorry. Your internet connection is uh, not great right now. So Just wait a second. We're going to wait for your internet connection to get back to normal, and then we are going to continue with uh, your uh, audio. But first, let uh, Oren uh, uh, say, and then we're going to get back to you because your internet's a little bit jumbled right now. So, Oren, go for it.
4: Uh, yeah, yeah. I, like I said, I, as I pointed out originally, I would have reject the idea that... Again, designing you know your polity on a spreadsheet from you know particularly efficient you know factors is a good way to to build your country anyway. Uh, but even if you were going to do that, it's very clear that we are not, uh, and there's no political will or ability to do that. Right? Like you can't even stop the current administration from busing immigrants into random parts of the country, um, and so the the idea that we're going to suddenly like lock everything down and have really high merit based immigration um is basically as comical as people you know on you know the alt right saying we're going to have an ethno state like neither, neither <laughs> of those are are politically uh achievable at the moment um and can't be uh with the way things are structured um so so even if this was the way in which you should manage your immigration policy, we all know it's not going to be. And so the question is, then what do we do, right? Uh, because we know that there's just too much advantage to leaving the immigration policy as it is. And we already know that there is basically no way in which the immigration policy uh, policy that Wilford is explaining will be enforced by either side, by the way. The, the, the Republicans have no interest in the policy he's talking about, either, um, even though their base does, and so uh, the you know, well, well, maybe that is a better way to manage it. Even though I don't think it's the optimal way to manage it. Either way, we're talking about a policy that we know from experience is not going to actually
0: be enforced. And uh, Wilfred, I know that you have to uh, go really soon, so I would love a uh, response uh, about that. Well, there was as actually
2: well. a, a viral video that was. Uh that went viral recently with, it was a Louis Theroux documentary. And he asked the South African farmer, he goes, why are you racist? He goes, yeah, of course I'm a racist. And uh, then he said, but yet you're breaking bread with black people. He goes, yeah, I'm racist because they're racist too. So it's like that. It's funny how- But but again,
0: like Gio, those
2: people- Well, racists get along together. It's just that but they are not have to be racist. But Gio, (laughs) they're
0: not at the, uh, let's say the top level of society where- people who, let's say, engage in a certain occupation, go to the same college, whatever, they tend to break bread with each other, uh, and they're not racist. No,
2: not really. I wouldn't say in in modern American campuses people are really breaking bread with each each other. True. Okay, fine. Good point. No, no. but you know what
0: I mean, Gio. Just like, in general, the elite or the upper middle class or middle class of the world, they don't have these kind of problems. We do find these problems in a lot of poorer areas. So, in general, that, that I see as a bigger problem. Like, how do we solve uh, that issue but anyway but, but that's
2: what Orrin was talking yeah. about is that you're essentially dumping the problems of diversity on the lower classes whether you're lower class white or black or hispanic person that's i think well this is the problem well, or the current that, american immigration system yeah well Warren's point
0: is that nothing could really be done about this because this is the nature of the machine right now it's too powerful Wil- wilfred i know you have to go really soon but would you uh, agree or disagree with that statement and is there any hope
1: is there any well, light at the I end of the tunnel here Well, first of all, I mean, we're a democracy. So within 10 years, as a bunch of people, including some of the panelists here, discuss these issues, we're going to see attitudes change dramatically. I mean, most predictions in political science have either this happening or a war down the pipe, and I'm an optimist. But anyway, I mean, more seriously, though, I think that it's probably true. So first of all, of the options available, merit logical immigration is clearly the best. I mean, when you say the USA, the USA has no chance of being an ethno state. There are 72, I believe, separate white and Latin groups in the USA. And if there were no blacks or Asians to spar with, those groups would rapidly move away from recognizing one another as being like brothers. I mean, there are a total of something like 90 ethnic groups in the USA. And by the way, I don't really think this is good or bad. It's, a, it's rare among democracies, but it's a characteristic of very large societies to be at least somewhat diverse. If you look at the Roman Empire, Abbasid, Caliphate, Mongol Empire, so I don't like British Empire, the EU taken as a whole, the USSR. I mean, if you over- cover a lot of land, there are going to be a lot of different types of people living on it without being too blip. So I, I don't think that married immigration is probably the best of the policies available. Someone could actually argue an ethno state would be the second best of them, or almost on par with the first, which is not going to happen here. And yes, of course, the worst possible option would be taking very, very large numbers of non-assimilation-willing immigrants from all around the world and just letting them into the country is that the uh, maddie iglesias
0: is that the maddie iglesias approach oh god the maddie well yeah i mean
1: first of all i do think that what we're doing now uh, what we don't have a very good immigration policy right now i don't know a single political scientist or you know police or military person at the officer level anybody that's relating to this that necessarily thinks we do the immigrants themselves i'm sure are solid guys but mass immigration not focused on metrics like do we need x number of nurses and so on even canada and france do this doesn't make a whole lot of sense in yeah, my opinion. With that said, I do think empirically we're freaking out about a lot of this. Again, 70% of, to the extent you care about race at all, 70% of Hispanic immigrants are Caucasian. I would recommend within, I would assume within two to three generations are going to continue identifying 70% as white, which is what third generation Mexicans in the USA do. So we're, we're dealing with flexible categories that change very rapidly over time we're not going to see a race war in 50 years. We're going to see a lot more whites having noticeable brown skin and hmm. IQ scores and so on, pretty similar to what we see in the South today. Like I tend to have a glib view of a lot of this because you see it over the sphere of the world in that, in that discipline of politics. Um, th- as to the question of can we change our immigration policy? Not yet. But the last line I'm going I'm to give here, when you say, well, Riley, you talking about everyone doing some basic military style training together and then the race is getting along are you saying merit immigration that's a pipe dream it's also a pipe dream that we become an eight million person country composed entirely of norwegian i mean we're one of the powers in the world we're the rome of the moment i mean our immigration policy asinine as it is um is something that's been worked out through weeks of debate and our government's probably not going anywhere for a while the question i guess is How you change the society we have now or something like that, perfect immigration policy will never happen. Neither will an ethno state. What can we do to improve the country we live in now, I think is a valid question. Uh, I do think there is an American culture. I think Americans should transmit it to immigrants. And there are some ways, although not brilliantly effective ones, that we can get politicians to do that. And that that's where we stand right now. It's an unsatisfying but honest, uh, I guess, final point.
0: Well, one quick thing, Uh, Daniel, since his internet cut out, I really want to hear just like one last question if he has any uh, to you. But also I want to say I think a big quality of humans that uh, separate us, let's say, from the lions and the bears is that we have forethought. We have this, you know, there's this idea of Prometheus, you know, the god Prometheus who created human beings. The word Prometheans means forethought. And I think that that is what enabled us to build the society that we have right now. And I hope that that is something that we can encourage within people. That was just one quick thing I wanted to say. But Daniel, any question, comment, anything to Wilford because he has to go soon.
3: Well, I don't have, I, I don't necessarily have any uh, questions per se probably only like a few ones about maybe college just because personally for me i'm going through the college process but um i I like to make a comment though right. i i really like for i really don't think that having Im- immigrants especially those who are very competent uh assimilated to the, i don't think it would be a huge problem uh, for the united states uh, because well first of all the way the united states works culturally is Yes, we do have an American culture, but there's like absolutist, uh, an absolutist layer and a relative layer. And a relative layer almost acts as a, rele- uh, a release valve uh, that stops any real conflict from happening. And so in a more absolutist layer, you have the more philosophical tenets about, uh, you know, liberalism, treating everybody with respect, uh, stuff like that. That's almost like the glue that keeps all these, like what you would say, may- like different cultures together. But even when we say we're a, uh, multicultural democracy out. to how far does that how how far does uh each different culture go i mean the most it goes is like different food you know like you, you go to a restaurant you can go to a a jamaican food restaurant and then you can go to get italian food the 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 philosophical tenets of a certain culture, whether it would be, you know, maybe the tenets of Eastern, uh, of the East, where, 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 uh, where we're talking about uh, Japan or whatever, and uh, um, maybe the philosophical tenants of, um, you know, uh, people in West Africa, those tenants are, we we tell them to shed those tenants when they come here, like, you know, the way they treat women or what they specifically uh, treat their children. We tell them to shed those tenants, they come here, the, and they come in and they embrace American culture because now that they've, you know, shedded those other philosophical tenets and embrace ours, you know, a more religious, uh, a more, a, and they adopt a more religious framework, a more, a, a framework that has a Protestant work ethic, et cetera, et cetera. What is really left in this multicultural democracy is really just very like surface level things like food or what they watch and things like that. But really, there is an American culture, and I don't think having really highly competent immigrants come over here, I don't think that would – that wouldn't hurt America at all. If anything, those highly competent immigrants know in the back of their heads that uh, quick assimilation will be best in order for them to make connections and to be highly successful in America.
0: I I definitely hope so. Well, Wilfred, thank you so much
1: for your time. It was a great pleasure to speak with you. Great meeting all of you. And I, I, I largely agree with Daniel on that last point that one sentence that's the traditional idea of the melting pot, right? Like you come into the culture, you have to accept the culture, but you're allowed, frankly, to contribute a couple of things. So, I mean, thus pizza is the most American of foods and so on. We've had a long tradition of assimilation of first non-German, non-Anglo white ethnic groups. Now of, the large minority although i don't know how practical that term is if you're describing caucasian hispanics or east Asians, but ethnic groups the only question the biggest question i think is whether we'll have enough confidence in our own civilization to keep that process of assimilation going if so we'll succeed on that note yeah yeah nope
3: there we go (laughs) on that
1: note so uh
0: thank you very Mm -hmm. much uh Wilfred for being here I have to you'll have to excuse me I'm going to be right back but uh let's keep this conversation going for a little bit thoughts on the conversation and uh let's go from there
3: well I I, I think as um well, like this idea that well and I, I've seen this question in the chat and you know I guess it uh refers to maybe like oh like we might well, whites have to advocate for their racial identity because of this like looming threat of a potential race war in the future. I honestly don't think. Well, as long as I don't think it will happen as long as people have the ability to really voice their opinions on on how they really think about people with other uh, skin co- skin tones, uh, uh, skin colors. Because I mean, personally, for me, and I like we spend up. I guess we like G O I. Uh, you know, love. we we spend a lot of time in the political sphere. We're like on Twitter a lot, things like that. But really, when I when I talk to people in in real life, people really really do still subscribe to the more um, liberal, like liberal, just treat others the way you want to be treated sort of mindset. And I guess like the I guess the left's very quick um, uh, move towards this, I guess absolutist uh white hating bigotry will not really taste well in many of uh, in the mouths of many of, of of many no matter what skin color they do have and so i i really don't think there's an independent like race war or uh you know or we or there won't be any real like conflicts between different cultures within the united states Personally, know. for me hmm.
0: we'll or, see if there's or...
2: another police shooting we'll see well <laughs> there or what, what do know. you think I, and unfortunately i wasn't
0: able to hear everything that daniel said but i did hear the beginning and the end of it so or
2: there uh, isn't an impending race where any any thoughts of...
0: uh i
4: mean it's it's a lot of what we've heard right that there's if you just have kind of this civic um idea of what america is and you can be confident in it then it'll be transmitted and as long, and everybody can kind of come in and adapt to it as long as you have people of high quality. Uh, you know, as I, as I pointed out, you know, obviously we're so far away from his vision of kind of uh, of how immigration would work that it's as far away as, as any other system being kind of suggested. But I think we are also seeing the limits of, uh, of exactly what you know he talked about there you know we we do see these things tearing at the seams we we do see uh that america is not fundamentally confident in its culture or its values if it was yeah we wouldn't be in the moment we're having right now we wouldn't have the riots we wouldn't have you know the the things being taught in public schools that are being taught there we wouldn't have american athletes at the olympics denigrating their society every moment a microphone is put in their face or a camera is placed on them if we had those confidences those things wouldn't be happening and so we're having a debate about whether we can be confident about something we already see falling i forget who said
2: it on twitter i think it was was it that wyatt thread i think i think it was the wyatt thread on the uh beals uh woman girl it's hard to tell with gymnasts they all look Tim Dillon had this joke that they're all well never mind never mind um that like you basically and first of all I think Wyatt he gets a lot of things wrong but he's right in this um he said like basically you're telling largely like African Americans to like that America is this like evil racist oppressive country and then when you expect them to defend on the world stage which I think the Olympics is total bullshit nobody cares anymore um that you should expect them to like defend America by winning the gold. But is this Beale's girl, is she really the best? Or is it just like, um, they say she's the best? I don't know. I don't fucking care. But like... No, but, I, but
0: even defining the best in, uh, physical activity, while I understand the ancient Greeks had, you know, their whole sportsmanship and all that. Well, all, I, all
2: sports are just pro, pro wrestling nowadays. Yeah, like, well, pro wrestling's the most real sport. I, 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 like, I don't, th- I
0: don't but, think it's that, to me, and again, I'm not a big sports guy, so I may be completely off the mark here, but to me, I know that Let's say a bear or a gorilla is much stronger. Even like a little chimpanzee is much stronger than any of us. It'll be able to dominate all of us uh, in terms of uh, physical, uh, you know, in terms of physical strength. Same thing with uh, other animals. The cheetah is going to be much faster than us, regardless of who was the fastest. The difference between us and the animals, though, like I said before, it's forethought. We are able to foresee certain outcomes and plan and construct and that's how we have all these beautiful psychedelic looking structures everywhere you know like that is something that's very human thing and something very special and uh, I think like if you were to ask me what is American culture like there are various parts of the United States which have certain things being passed down to them but I'd say that general like American culture just like any culture that finds it has this ability to foresee certain things and to create something beautiful from that foreseeing ability—that I think is the juice. That is this. That is the magical spark. I don't think it's that active right now, but maybe we're going through a small period of decline, as well as other periods of decline America's had before, like uh, back during FDR's time. He was, if I'm not mistaken, pretty close to uh, you know going full commie. Am I wrong about that? I may not have my history in order here or, and so help me out here.
4: Uh, I'm not sure in what aspect I'm going to help you out there. <laughs> Sorry, Lev. Um, <laughs> I, I have many things to say about FDR, almost none of them good. That's what um, I mean. That
0: that's, yeah. uh, that's the point that I was bringing up, that we were facing a similar kind of situation back then when it came to, I mean, not only were we helping the Russians during World War II, which is, you know, understandable and all that, but uh, afterwards I wonder what would have happened if he hadn't croaked. You know, like there were certain challenges that Americans faced, even if maybe you could say they dressed better, they had nicer-looking hats. I still some
2: people say they would have, uh, like the Soviets would have had a greater grip on American society if FDR lived, if it wasn't because Truman. Like, I mean, is despite what people like fucking, uh, who's the guy? He's a great, he's an amazing director, but he's like just you know the third-worldist lib. Uh, Oliver Stone.
4: Oh, I thought, yeah, that's what you're
2: talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he said, because Henry Truman, which it's kind of true, he was like a middling possession. He was like a son of a haberdasher and all that. But I think he did do an important role in sort of stabilizing the European situation. I mean, I personally like Patton's idea. I think we should round it up all of the German army, went after the Soviets. Um, Sort of let some things the Germans did slide. Not, don't make of that what you will, Jesus. But, gosh, you. <laughs> Wait, no, I'm no, no, did, did Pat, no but the Patton say... ki- Patton's idea was objectively better than what happened.
0: I mean, look, I know I probably
2: wouldn't have been around, but I it would... was because of fucking FDR. They murdered, yeah. okay, they assassinated Patton. That's my position, yeah, because he was too based, too red pilled. <laughs> they had to get rid of him.
0: Geo woke on the patent question. <laughs> oh
2: yeah, I mean, he's just so suspicious. The fucking car crash. Come on, yeah, get out of here.
0: Just like the modern day, what's his name? That journalist guy. What's oh. What- uh- not Pat Tillman, uh no. Seth Rich. No, no, not Seth Rich. Um Oh, um there was Gary that... Gary Webb. No, not Gary Webb. There's uh, so many journalists they... know, There's so many journalists they murdered. I can't believe com- it. No, Gio, not in comparison to Russia. I know. Oh my god, loves talking about Russia again. I'll stop. I'm not going to subject you to that. <laughs> well, did torture. you see my tweet today? Don't worry.
2: These which I want to talk to Orin about. This is a good segue. Um the tweet today I said, well basically FDR let his pal, Uncle Joe, totally eviscerate Eastern Europe. And now the same journalists, some of which, like Matty Iglesias, work for the New York Times, who had journalists that basically were an agent of Joseph Stalin, um, criticize Hungary and Eastern Europe in particular. Sorry, um, East Hungary and Eastern Europe. And it's just it's so ridiculous to me how they're propping up this like What was the one tweet? I think I forget who was it from. I retweeted about they're doing this like Ron Swanson, Epic Bacon, like fuck yeah America, you know America. And now it's like we're the greatest. You know the left is now going, you know we're the greatest uh, country in the world because we got freedom against their right wing enemy in Hungary with Orbán. So and then this fucking lawyer, the bug man, saying like oh everything that Orbán stands for is against the constitution. So you see that right away, America in terms of its identity and its liberal framework can easily be co-opted by the left and for them to say mm-hmm. that well no actually the progressive wilsonian version of america that is the real mm-hmm. america and i know i'm bringing up like you know AnCap, cap like thomas wood's points here but it's true like they really have just totally like done away with any like mm-hmm. Jeffersonian like yeoman ideal and, and of again, America. And again, Gio, my
0: my I'd say more nuanced take is I'm not going to be one of those people who says that just because there are bad things in the United States, then the other people are all good. You know, well, that's I laid it up very... for you, Lev.
2: I mean, you're the one that believes in the brown, the reds, the. You know, like the Stalin did everything. The Russians did everything, The Stalin was manufacturing reality. I mean, yeah. so I'm giving it to you, Lev. And I know what and you're and the Yes, and the, organiza- yes, and the
0: organization <laughs> of the KGB that uh, you know was produced from the NKVD during Stalin's time. By the way, an interesting thing, an interesting side note. There is that when Khrushchev got into power, it was intentionally made that the KGB and the, uh, uh, what was it, uh, uh, in Russian it's called the um, KPSS, which is the Communist Party of uh, of Russia, that those two competed with each other, and neither one had ultimate power. And that was a very interesting, kind of like a Soviet-style balance of powers that existed just because they saw the fuckery that Stalin was doing back then, and they were like, no more of that shit. Because what Stalin used to do, by the way, he used to... He used to have uh, people that got into positions of power around him, and then he would just, like, slice a layer off, slice a layer off, like, every now and then. So anybody who came up to working for Stalin, eventually they'd be assassinated. And just, like, everybody, just, like, all at once, just, like, new layer, new layer, new layer. And... You got to admit that it may have been effective for preventing people from um, going against him. But also, I wonder, like, people say that maybe Stalin was assassinated. What I wonder, though, is whether it was not the fact that a lot of the people who were seeing Stalin, uh, you know, back in his room, that they were so scared of Stalin. Neither one of them wanted to go into that room. And you would think like, shit, if Stalin is lying in ill health, they could have just like gathered together and just like assassinated him all at once. You know, everybody stabbing a knife in, but they didn't, you know, they were too fucking scared. Cause I think that that's how much of, um, that's how much fear Stalin was able to generate in his subordinates just because he did that whole layering thing. And the problem is that people couldn't even say no like, in terms of getting hired to a position. So if you were going to be promoted to a certain position within the uh, government at that time, you'd know that it's about time to start writing your will out. You'd know that, you know, you're probably going to be dead soon, but you can't say no either because then you'd be dead as well. So just imagine that level of fear. That's what I mean. Like, people don't understand that level of fear and paranoia that existed in the USSR in comparison to what we've got here. It's not even close.
3: Do, well, what, what, what do you think it would take for – for or what would be the left's tactic to make that – to make the paranormal comparable between the USSR at that point and uh, the United States today? We'll see. Or is it even possible?
0: I mean, I think it's still very – despite all the things that are going on right now, it's still very far. I mean, I want to have very one, far, yeah. one last example for all the haters out there, one last example of what recently happened in Russia. Have you heard of this businessman named Michael Calvi? Or have you heard of this guy? I cannot say that I have. So Michael Calvi was this businessman who used to promote a lot of Russian business interests. He used to tell everybody, come on, invest in Russia. It's going to be great. And one day, some friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of Putin's decided that he wants to own Michael's company, you know, just out of the blue. And they concocted some weird, uh, crime that they accused Michael of, despite Michael being their fucking cheerleader for years and years, and now they're arresting him, and they put him on house arrest before, and they took away all of his assets— so that is also a difference where, yes, we could talk till the cows come home about certain people that have stood up against certain things that the government was doing and they found themselves to be in the weird, you know, a, a, a weird predicament afterwards here in the States. Absolutely. Nobody's perfect. But that is a specific level when you would have a businessman who, you know, just like somebody who's, uh, you know, in good relations with the president, wants to take your company away, and then they just frame you, and that's it. The company's not yours, and now you're going to jail. So that is another level that we're not at yet.
4: So I do have to go, but before I go, Lev, we have to get over this, all right, buddy? So you and me, we're going to work it out right now. All uh right, here we go. All right, so we have to stop pretending that the formal American government is the only government involved in what's happening in the country. Okay. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that happens is you make the point that you just did and you're correct. Like there's, there's this obvious corruption where a friend of someone who holds formal government power suffers a consequence for disagreeing or having something. And the government uses its formal power to take that away. Like that's obviously an abuse of power. Right. However, off the top of my head, I can name a number of major businessmen who stepped afoul of the American woke ideology and lost exactly the same things you're talking about. Now they didn't go, you're right, to house arrest, maybe. They might have protesters outside. Well, and now of their he's homes. being arrested
0: permanently, not just house okay. arrest.
4: But 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 you, you stay with me here. Okay. So so there are you probably plenty. deserved it. <laughs> there are plenty of uh of business owners who have lost their livelihood lost their control over their company mozilla have, guy yeah mozilla uh papa john's guy right like like there there's there are many different Coinbase. people we can point to uh we can point to people who are specifically under political prosecution uh ricky vaughn right like journalists who are under prosecution for no other reason than trumped up charges because they ran afoul of of administrations um pretending that just because you don't actually have like official stormtroopers coming through your window (laughs) we are not on this path or relatively far down it is a mistake people's bank accounts are getting closed their ability to process payments are closed we're moving towards an all digital economy Really how far Pay- do you think we are
3: from this PayPal
2: stuff? PayPal is going to give all information to the ADL by the way. The ADL. That's, yes. And right. they're
3: really exactly. working with the Poverty the Southern Poverty yes. Southern Poverty Law yeah. Center. Yes. Yeah. These yeah.
2: people are
4: going to send out private companies. I'm scare quoting really hard here. Uh, after you to shut you down if you don't think in the, the news media has already started doing this. If you don't think that the media is not going to be sending out economic assassination squads to every single person who runs for local school board in opposition to CRT, you have yep. just not been paying attention to what is happening in this country.
2: Facebook already in compliance with working with people like Jared Holt, by the way. Oh should I mention his name a Band on YouTube? But yes, this is true. They work with a bunch of groups, Hope Not Hate is and, one of them. And the
4: Biden administration has already said on obviously the pandemic related stuff that they are working directly with these social media groups. It is yeah. very we are only one The message step away.
2: is that the same, exact same wording that oh we're full in the IC never mind, I'm not going to say it. I just want to make
0: don't. sure what are those examples? For example, like with Papa John, were his assets uh, seized as well? or no like in, in
2: class action shit yes his assets are going to be sorry Aaron sorry, sorry sorry
0: yeah no I mean Gio's right like like I
4: said the the problem Lev is you are right that there is not direct complete formal imposition of this stuff yet but if you are waiting for that and you're just saying that that alone is the only indicator or that that is when you need to trip the lever and say things aren't working I think you are really mistaken you have to understand that these in the reason that the american version of the managerial society outlived the soviet version is that it was better at this kind of thing it was better at soft power so it was less obvious and it won in over the long run but it is still extremely dangerous and it will continue to use these non-formal governmental methods to crack down in very similar ways no, you won't be routing in a prison. You'll just be unemployable. No one will look at you. You'll be depersoned. You'll be untouchable. You can say that that's a better situation, I guess, but not by much. And it's not anything that we should be looking forward to. The
3: well, reason- yeah, um, Alexis de Tocqueville did talk about this, and I-, I believe it was Democracy in America. He did say that if uh, America was facing uh, something more authoritarian then it wouldn't happen from government straight down. I mean, that's way too ineffective. It would take a long time and there would definitely be a backlash to it. I mean, we're already seeing the backlash from the ordinary Americans. We're seeing a backlash against leftist policies imposed by the government, by ordinary Americans. And so trying to uh, implement power through the government is an extraordinarily inefficient, inefficient thing. And so obviously, yes, the next big thing is culture and using these big corporations. And so again, like Alex de Tocqueville said, in America, America is a special situation. Instead of locking you in a prison, they'll just stop talking to you. You know, you'll be un- unemployable. You're going to rot in your house, unable to feed your children. Uh, your your friends will outcast you. And I would say, in a way, that's even worse than being in solitary confinement. If you're unable to feed and provide for your family, if none of your friends will talk to you for fear of being uh, canceled as well, that, that's pretty bad in itself as well.
0: Absolutely. No, Oren, I don't know if you assume that I portray this very sunny side of the United States as opposed to the dark side of Russia. I hope you know me better than that. My whole thing, the reason why I mention Russia, it's not that I don't deny exactly what you said, all these problems. I mean, that's why we do this show. You know, I don't live in Russia. I live here in the States, and the reason why we do this show, why we try to bring people who are within this uh, other sphere together with uh, people like yourself is, is specifically because I'm very concerned about these problems. The reason why I bring up Russia, though, has more to do with what the proposed solutions people have to the problems at hand, where I'm very much against a uh, (laughs) dictatorship, totalitarianism, and I try to list certain things that end up happening under that system just as a sign that uh, I... Really disagree that the implementation, if there was implementation of a system that's going to replace the one we're currently in right now to a certain extent, why I would be against that one. So in a way, trying to steer people away from that point, that's literally the only reason why I bring these uh, things having to do with Russia up. It has nothing to do with, uh, you know, thinking that it's all sunshine and butterflies here.
3: I honestly think it's impossible. Uh, well, I I disagree with them because a lot of people make this contention and they say that well, you know, at some point we're gonna have to make our own institutions and then those institutions will fight. I think that uh, in certain cases, it's impossible to make our own version of of something in an economy. I mean, we've seen it with Parler, by the way. You know, um, be, just because um our uh, uh tech overlords are so great that are are so big that parlor even with even having huge success, Amazon was able to take it off um you know uh web services it's web services and um I believe yeah Apple and Google took it off their 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 app stores, and so I, I don't think uh making uh, two institutions, two different institutions or two different versions of a similar product and then having a battle out in a, a free market economy would, would even work because need of the- We a base
2: corporation to promote a, a base Papa John's to-, yeah. to... <laughs> Don't get but me started,
3: Gio. On, honestly, at this point, what, we we have to fight. We have to fight within the institutions that already exist. And you know, this, this is the problem with a lot of- um, people are i wouldn't even just say conservatives but people who realize what is going on you know they they would watch the youtube videos or whatever and say oh look look at what's going on at coca cola look at this um seminar saying that white people are what what is this specifically well, chris what, rufo about white. what
2: they're doing <laughs> yeah like
3: we we can only have so many chris christopher rufo's telling us what's going on i mean like we need more people actually going into these institutions and actually trying to uh, change it back to normal. That's how the left, the left didn't win or they aren't winning right now by saying, Oh, you know, like uh, I'm just going to make my own Apple company. And then that Apple company will, but uh, you know, have- how
2: you know, it works, Daniel. I'll tell you how it works. And Orin, you have a video. um, The more recent one, the family against the total state, but also like the secret American constitution. That was another one, but I'll tell Lev. I'll tell here's about business. Okay. So the reason I'm reminded of this is because I just came across this excellent logo. dadless tweet. Um, we're coming okay, on the
0: show this uh, Tuesday with Amy Therese.
2: Yeah. It's a picture of fucking Cush bomb. Uh, Matt Christman, who's the leader of Chapo trap house. You humongous close-up of his cuck face. Maybe if I take my thing on, I'll have the scraggly ah, like you could see his fucking molars. Um and it says End quote, um, you're just jealous of my privileged position in the false consciousness production industry, you peasant fetishizer. I can't wait for the lumpen masses to expropriate your small business so I can be bought at ground zero prices by BlackRock, meaning that. And so then he says a picture of Mao with the peasants saying when the chapel left calls someone a peasant, you know what they mean, meaning they're going to liquidate them. So the, the way it works is that what happens is the political left will make cover Oh, my God, Lav. Oh, my God. This, so, is, this is
0: me as the female school ch- uh, teacher that was pointed oh, out by uh, one of the people in the chat here that that yeah, is the my female yeah. yeah,
2: so... Not not a bad-looking teacher, is it? And by the yeah, way... Yeah, you kind of look like one teacher I had, but anyways, um, so what they do is they'll take... They'll give, like, Chapo Ironist quack slash... Like, depending on who they are. If it's, like, Carl Bezier... Or if it's like fucking kush bomb, they'll give like a particular f- flavor of dirtbag left justification. But if it's a woke person like Kendi or whoever, they'll do this too. What they do is that it's a reciprocal relationship between the neoliberals, the neocons, and them. So what they do is that they'll take a business that's evil, terrible corporation. That if this was in the 1990s with the um, anti-globalization movement, like for example, in the battle for Seattle... What they'll do is that they'll give, like, cover. They'll give, like, left cover to these corporations because, in a way, not only are they immune from it because they're all upper-class rich kids, fail-sons, ironically enough, but they will give... They'll make some elaborate theory-cell justification as to why BlackRock is good for basically destroying, like, the lower-middle-class people from having families and owning their own homes and so forth because they'll say that while well, everyone should be in a pod city anyways it's better for the environment and also you're evil racist terrible and oh by the way it's oppressing people that are our political enemies who are like m- let's face it the people that are selling their homes to blackrock are boomers boomer parents that are going to condos moving to florida that are disenfranchising their like lower class white kid you know millennials gen xers millennials and zoomers who might Would have had a family in one of these starter homes So this is why they're good with corporations That are totally against traditional leftist Quote-unquote leftist causes Because that's the way it works They're punishing the class of people Largely lower class white people That they hate, that they want to The Kulaks they want to liquidate And by doing so Matty Iglesias is the master of this He's the absolute king of giving left justification for neoliberal exploitive business practices because he's saying, well, it's better to like clear the dead wood of the white working class when we could just import a million more Americans. And you better believe that they're going to be better Americans than the white people that are already here largely Or white or Hispanic or whoever right? So that's the way it works That's the game People like Matt Kreisman People like Matty Iglesias People like fucking Carl Bezier People like even Ibram Kendi They will give justification for woke capital To basically exploit the kulaks Sorry that was a long rant That's a, actually a clip right there from BTR So um, or and D- Daniel What do you two think of that? Um, I, I,
4: I, I do think you're correct, but I'm also, I gotta, I gotta get run So,
2: oh shit. Sorry.
0: Bro. So yeah. Oren, no, 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 thank no. you so much for coming in. Let thank me you, plug, man, let me plug everything about you. So for those who do not know, or McIntyre, please check him out on twitter.com slash or McIntyre. And of course the YouTube channel, oh. youtube.com slash Oren McIntyre. And by the way, McIntyre, that's Irish, right? Uh, Irish.
4: Yeah. Scottish. Oh, it's Irish? No, I'm I'm just messing with it. oh, it's, I, the, it's, it's a it's a to diploma, guys. Like I just I, I made it up.
0: All right. I oh, have, that's not his real name. I had a teacher so in a Catholic school obvious. named Mrs. McIntyre. Although she wasn't the hot one. The hot one was Miss O'Shaughnessy. And let me see if I could find a picture of her to show you guys. I did a animation about a hamster who falls in love with this red-headed teacher based on her. So let me see if I can uh and thank you so much for the two dollars fight or flight really respect that. So, or I have to go now, buddy, but again, thank you so much for being here as always and uh best uh wishing you the very best uh with the years ahead and weeks and months and all that.
2: New yep, video but, coming up? Or?
4: Uh, I need to get one. I've got I've got a couple things written, but nothing's in the pipeline Yeah, I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to be talking to Zero HP Lovecraft soon. Oh, uh, hopefully hopefully he'll be coming on soon here. He just got video. done with his he just got done with his new uh, uh, work. Short so story, gonna, yeah, yeah. So he's gonna uh, join me to talk about that. Well, nice. he writes
2: a video. Me, I just like ramble for a minute, and I, I skip the well, ramble I make, and I edit it and post. I'm like, I, fuck. I kind of do that. I, I
4: make I make like notes and I like yeah, lecture yeah, and then I, cut I'll it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
2: tomorrow, I'm I have to work on. I'm gonna release the second part of my book of Revelations reading. So I just have to draw the uh, the lamb cover image. So. All um, right, guys. Well, thanks for having me. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Oren. Thank you.
4: Nice conversation. As, as always.
0: always. Absolutely, Daniel. And uh, Daniel, I think we're going to be uh, going soon, but I would love to uh, plug uh, your stuff as well. So where can people find you?
3: Oh, oh yeah. Uh, my name is Daniel e. Friends. Uh I am once again... Uh, very new person to the internet that's why i'm not really a youtube star i don't know why he called me that in the beginning of the no stream. you will be a YouTube but, star
0: that's what i mean well
3: i guess well we'll we'll see we'll see what the future holds but yeah my name is daniel e friends you can find me on youtube twitter and instagram all of them is uh, my first first name last name that is d-a-n-i-e-l-i-d-f-r-e-s-n-e um you can find me on YouTube, Twitter, and uh, Instagram, all of them freshly, newly created. Uh, and so if you would like to have content from a a teenage free thinker, uh, you know, probably, you know, you want to uh, watch a fresh mind on the, the recent topics and, um, and the stuff we're talking about today, then you can check those out. And I definitely can't wait to hop on again and talk about uh, more things. I also want to, I actually want to meet uh, Amy Therese. Uh, at some point, Hell which, yeah. uh, that'll be and that'll be cool as well. So yeah, uh, thank you for having me again. I, I didn't really get to talk as much as I wanted to today. But of course, you know, uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll have plenty more chances to, to insert more of my opinions into the and to the debate
0: absolutely yeah. Daniel so thank you very much buddy and uh by the way I got new glasses and I've been getting some compliments in the chat about them and I do like them much better than those old dinky glasses that I had before hey, I you, you did Trotsky, get new glasses not a...
3: yeah you no, just no, has to
0: grow the, the <laughs> yeah. Trotsky van Dyke. oh man there. almost there we are almost uh... and by the way see the pitbull background that I have over here Daniel your opinion on the pitbull question
3: the pitbull question
0: yes
2: Get rid of uh, them all. Oh, sorry.
0: sorry. <laughs> See,
3: wait. About your background?
0: Yeah, well, not the background specifically, but there, there's a raging debate about pit bulls. As far as it basically as whether... mirrors the
2: race and IQ well, debate for some reason. Um, no, but with pit
0: bulls, it's actually very specific that uh, the pit bulls. Are everyone
2: bre- I've ever seen with a pit bull has been an ignorant motherfucker. I gotta say, I don't mean to stereotype. But I just don't trust them. Uh,
3: that is sort of true. I'm not, that is sort of true. <laughs> yeah. I. <laughs> I mean, people say you
0: know it's the owner, I think not the you, dog. But
2: no, that's bullshit. That is they have a genetic predisposition. Well, it is the owner, but like, I th- the problem with pitbulls is that they have a very particular. I think people have studied them. They have a very particular like thing that makes them go off. I I don't know. Like there are other dogs who um are equal to them in strength and power but who are very easy to manage as guard dogs and chunkier dogs like doberman pincers are very easy to train although i still wouldn't probably wouldn't want to pincer around my kid or whatever i don't have kids but you know what i mean um like uh various bloodhounds or various other guard dogs very easy german shepherds uh sorry daniel you go ahead fuck i can't
3: yeah well, <laughs> well i i uh... I don't really have a nuanced um, opinion on the, the, the pit bull, but I, I guess from like first, uh, first sight, a lot of the, a lot of people that I know who are pit bull owners are uh, I would say, um, well, if you want to go with like the vibes, uh, equal vibes attract each other. I wouldn't say the most intellectual of my friends are, are those who, who have pit bulls. And so maybe that, there's, there's a correlation there somewhere. I don't know.
2: The worst are pit moms. (laughs) Pit pit moms are the absolute worst. Actually. Yeah. I love, they always post, I love my kids. Meanwhile, they're, you know, partying at the bar strippers, you know, I I don't want to, I don't want to denigrate pit moms, but I think the problem with pit moms is that they, they want a replacement for the masculine men masculine. Yeah. Yeah. They basically want to adopt, they want a masculinity. That they can control somewhat mm. as a dog, but yet they want a dog who is assertive over them, and then I don't even want to get into the um, mimetic uh, erotic uh, connotation, not Never mind. I'm not well, going to it, tur- it
0: turns out, by the that way, mean. that uh, not uh, not the Greek lady, but another naked news uh, uh, anchor w- was a pit mommy. Well, she had both pits and um, what's a triumph? The insult comic Rottweilers. So yeah. that that was wilders
2: i think you can train better as guard dogs i think Mm. like with like pincers yeah maybe but Um, but, but they're so pretty yeah they're very aggressive you wouldn't want them like they're sheep dogs a lot like they're any like type of farm dog you really want to be careful with i mean even if they're trained Mm. um because they can be quite aggressive but like pit bulls for some reason they are particularly they're a type of aggression that is unpredictable. That's yeah. their
3: problem. So, and, uh, Daniel,
0: do you have
2: any pets?
3: I actually do not. Uh, I think no. it's maybe a New York City thing. uh yeah. But a lot of New Yorkers actually have pets, though. I, I don't. I don't know. I personally, I, I, I
0: think you should get a cat just because I love my cat. Uh, I am and... not a cat No, person. why not? No. 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 no.
3: no, I mean. Oh, oh no! Well...
0: You're never coming on the show again. That's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Well I am I am more of a dog person. While, while, while in my New York City apartment I do not have any pets. When I do my my parents and I do go to uh Haiti every two or so years to do uh missionary mm-hmm. uh stuff and we do have uh a ton of um pets at our you know place in Haiti. And there I, I I I like to hang around the dogs more than the, Here, Here's uh, than an the image dogs, of a pet
2: mom for those in the chat okay. Imagine like <laughs> a greasy bun with huge novelty glasses they got at a dollar store and uh wearing tra- sweat or track pants or like wearing like pajama bottoms with like the halter top and they have they're smoking marlboros or, or uh newports never mind i'm i'm this is total fucking stereotype but it's and they they have they're always going facebook they're the ones that write the posts where they're beefing with someone, but like they don't say them by name. So they're just like randomly writing aggressive posts on Facebook. You know, you know what yeah. I'm talking about? Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is a stereotype. You know, you know I'm mom. wondering now with all this, uh, you know, thought. Fuck all- that bitch. I don't care about that bitch at the Safeway. With all this it's conversation. Like, you know-
0: well, like I'm thinking, like with all this conversation about how uh, cigarette smoking apparently keeps the backstreet boys at bay, you know, from their uh, world tour. I wonder, like, if, uh, are there kosher cigarettes? Are, are, are cigarettes kosher? Because if not, uh, they should, uh, hold
2: on. Do they, they smoke in Israel? Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they should. Well, I mean. There you go. Yeah. I was... Oh, look, update. We have an update, though, on, on our everyone's favorite person. Um, Chris Chan denied bond until next hearing in September. Yeah! <laughs> Interrupted judge with the pauper product. Has to access his toys oh my god so it's kind of like bubbles where he had vince the pince the cat in jail but christian wants his toy or sorry christian wants her toys in jail so um oh man uh geo you're too smart to have such ignorant opinions fuck off with that okay i hate Pit. no i'm sorry i don't mean fuck up. i'm very sorry for you spare. i mean yeah. like well, i i i think like uh, in my experience with people who have owned pit bulls haven't been very good I, I, I know I, I'm very I was sorry. just I'm just
0: gonna say uh that I forgot it but now I remembered I was just Pimple, gonna say sir, racial
2: filter I
0: was just going to say that if we're going to have kosher cigarettes you know what they should be called they should be called uh, Jewport, Jewport.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah Rothman well I guess Rothman's that's uh, no I think like well um the like, here's the thing. Men will go for, like, middle-range dogs, but women will go for, like, little toy micro-poodles or, like, huge dogs that are just, like, horses, like like mm. Great Danes. Although I say Great Danes are pretty friendly, though. Um, Wait, I think... I, like, I, I think if I were to have a dog, a... I'd have, like, a hunting dog, like mm. a Springer, Springer Spaniel or something like that.
0: I think it was an Anna Karenina, but I could be wrong. There was, uh, you know, one of the guys, he saw this little, this little lap dog on the lap of this lady in the train that was making too much noise, oh, was, yeah like, yeah th- threw it out of the train oh that's, <laughs> that's terrible
2: that's like fucking that's like who's that's like only use me blade fucking throwing the dog or like that Linity girl just fucking throwing her cat across the room <laughs> Pipples are being used as instruments or fancy get- yeah that's the problem i think that like a lot of people like if you're gonna want a pet just as like a social signal thing so, okay, so here's yeah, the thing the, about Chris same, Chan. Th-
0: same thing with kids when they dress, you know, like the celebrities. Oh, yeah, girls, that's uh, fucking stupid. Uh, yeah.
2: I hate that. Yeah. Or, or people that like sports parents are the worst, in my opinion. They fucking live vicariously for their kids. Um, Koslo- um, Consolvo, Consolvo said, I guess that's the attorney. Or, or the judge said, it's clear that people. And so, this is uh, Mr. M- this is Daddy Jim's Twitter account.
3: Hey guys, I do have to go in, uh, in a bit. Oh, but- sorry, so- oh, wait, so sorry. Daniel. Yes. So,
0: Daniel, before you go, any any final thoughts on the conversation? Oh, anything, uh, anything you would like to uh, uh, say? Go forward.
3: Well, I, I I think it was a pretty interesting conversation on the, on the topic of immigration. I, I, I there was a few things that I needed to be reminded of, like for example. Uh, You know, the difference between ethnicity and race. I think that I think that's a really great point, Barbara, Fred, and I I can't wait to use that when my uh, uh, progressive friends or I wouldn't even say friends, but my progressive classmates in school uh, in September starts talking about how America might turn into an ethno state because of these right wingers or whatever uh but um for the most part yeah i think it was a really really productive conversation i've learned a few things and uh i have to go now because unfortunately it is college application season and i got a ton of essays to write unfortunately i mean i'm a pretty oh shit I'm you pretty, have to write yeah. essays be
0: sure to yeah. um, put, uh put to break the rules in your uh, uh i'm your good <laughs> no <don't>. I'm, <laughs>
3: I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> that's we the thing wait no ready. that's the thing because like uh there's there's a lot of i'm i'm pretty like proactive with like uh i guess politics right now and i have like a few like pieces on different newspapers and like have a youtube channel stuff like that and in a in a normal uh universe in a normal uh country it would be completely fine for me to put every single thing that i do on a college application but we'll see how that goes um but yeah, I, yeah we I don't, don't have, have that have... in
2: Canada. Thank God. I'd <laughs> fucking die if we had the SATs. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. Is that to, the SAT
3: have... you're writing? Yeah, the SAT. I have to take it again oh. in August. And everybody uh, fill up the August seats in New York City. So I have to go into New Jersey. Do they have online the now? Oh, you going to go to Jersey? <laughs> yeah, the, the AP The AP tests were online and they made th- made them ridiculously hard, but I still pass. Um, the ones I took, I took uh, government and politics, and I took U.S. history. I passed those, but they made it extra hard for online. But there's no way they're doing the SAT online, you know? Why not? So,
2: why can't they? Because like every major cheating, test cheating, I guess that they're afraid so
0: oh, much. Well, oh,
3: but the SAT tests are online. I think it's just because the SATs, maybe like their darling, the like the golden boy of College Board. I think it's bullshit. They
2: say that it has no bearing on like later academic success either.
3: Oh no, no, no! It definitely does. I, there's there's this great um piece by Freddie Gilbert. yeah yeah your Aww, your score on the sat know. is like heavily correlated with how how well you um do in the future and as a matter of fact you know a lot of liberals and progressives say that um uh your sat score is highly contingent on your socioeconomic status but um when when it, it doesn't really uh hold the test uh, there's essay the sat is actually or rather essays are how well you do on an essay is more contingent on your social economic status. Yeah, because of time, the sheer time it takes to research. Exactly, and- e- yeah. exactly. So, yeah. so is it, this is another example of like progressives, you know, completely messing up what they believe. And this is this is uh, what's happening with the sat and the, like the conversations about whether the S A T is racist or whatever. Naturally, has uh, gone into whether the SHSAT is racist and in New York City we have this thing called a specialized high school admissions test it's sort of like the SAT for um the best high schools and yeah to get into the higher bracket yeah 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 yeah. so uh I took the SHSAT I did well and I got to Brooklyn Technical High School um uh and I guess now people are trying to say that oh the SHSAT is racist Because, um,
2: but like, I think the system is bullshit in general, like the whole standardized test thing. Like, I think, like, like, when it comes to like, the humanities, I think they should have like an entry essay, which some colleges in Britain and Canada do. But The SAT is just I don't know, man. I'm a I don't know anything about. It. I'm Canadian, so well, thank well, God for, we don't
3: have that. For for specific colleges, if you want to enter in a certain program, like a humanities program, you yeah, have yeah. to do the SAT. Yes, but you also do have to submit an essay. Like for example, oh, that's for Princeton, right. I, that's right. I, I, I for yeah. Princeton, I think you have to submit four essays and one of them a graded paper. Uh, unless
2: you're unless you're Ahmed, uh, what's his name? Zaid? We just said Black Lives Matter over and over again. That was oh yes, yes, yes.
3: <laughs> Bro, I, I don't know. I fucking I, hate I that kid. That he story. was the most <laughs> annoying piece
2: of shit. <laughs> oh my one god. Of my, uh, one Because he would say these stupid shit. Like- <laughs> oh, you knew? Did you know about him or? I, you- I,
3: I I didn't know about him until one of my friends who like don't, is not even involved in politics at all, but he told uh, me like, oh yeah, this kid like said BLM like. For one thousand tons and he got into yeah, that was, the, the, and then the and then standard. he's like, Daniel, you know, you're you know, you're blocked. You should like do that. I was like, No, because really it's funny. kind of, it's kind
2: of like uh Barnett Newman doing the strips on yeah. the painting. Like as soon as one guy, as soon as Melvick does the black canvas, no one else can do it. Yes. It's yeah, done. yeah, yeah, yeah. Once once he yeah yeah
3: once he does it yeah yeah, yeah yeah I I definitely um, get that. But uh, oh, let
2: me read you before you go. I want to read you this Chris Chan thing. Oh, God. No. Wait, Daniel, Consuelo... do, you know, do you know who
0: Chris, Chris Chan is? Oh, no. Don't ask that! Wait, Chris... wait, wait. Christian,
2: who? Chris Chan.
0: Chris...
2: Christian Chris Westin... Well, Christina Weston Chandler. but... Oh,
0: man. Wait, let me, let me hear it. Let me hear it. Uh, okay.
2: So, okay. So, di- I highly suggest when you're done your SATs so just before you have to go to class, <laughs> just like waste all of your time watching the Gino Samuel documentary on Christian Weston Chandler and the deep lore. So this is what Consolvo said. So I'm guessing this is the judge. This is going to blow your mind. And this is Chris Chan, by the way. Uh, Well, as it it used to be. Yeah, this is from Daddy Jim, Mr. Medicare's uh, Twitter account, Quarantine Coof. Consolvo said it's clear that people sought out where Chandler was staying at in the hotel, meaning Ethan Ralph and his uh, trans girlfriend, fiance, whatever, they went and tried to confront Chris Chan. Um, Hotel in Heinrico And videotaped her arrest So meaning Ethan Ralph Chandler interrupted the proceedings Loudly saying And I'm trying to do the Chris Chan voice I'm famous on the internet Before Hildeberg told her Not to speak until spoken to By the court So that is Chris Chan's defense I'm famous on the internet Which it's true But oh this kid Okay Daniel (laughs) You're gonna like totally regret ever hearing about the name Christine Weston Chandler. You were going to make it's going to make your skin fucking crawl. It's going to be like you're a zoomer, so you don't know what the internet was like back in the day. I know, I was there. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I was. Uh, yeah, I remember yeah, Lisa, the
3: fortune. Lisa threads. said. Lisa said. Do you even know? Well, I was. I, in my defense, I'm like. Um, barely you don't say
2: please don't just for youtube reasons but he is he is over the age of 13 which matters on youtube live streams yes put it that way yes he is almost (laughs) a year he's barely legal
3: um not only (laughs) that but like i academic like since I, spend- I can tell you probably don't have a
2: lot of internet access. But
3: when yeah, I or no, I do have a lot of internet access, but I I usually I most of it is cancer. I'd rather not yeah. be on like Twitter arguing over there. You, you know what so, I would love like- to see
0: though. I would love no, to see. I, mean, like, I would love
2: your to see your- probably. Yeah, they probably don't want you. I would to, like, love nothing Kiwi more farms. than to
0: have a video <laughs> of your father, uh, Daniel, of your father watching the Chris Chan documentary and just commenting on what he's seeing.
2: Oh my god! Oh my god.
0: <laughs> so
2: All yeah, right. so it's it's like literally, like the only way to say it is if you, it's like a, like. Like a living Truman show. Put it that way. Like yeah, <laughs> literally like this, no one, no other hu- person in human history has been documented to the exact day, to the exact, there's whole people that follow Christian around. They're called the Chanologists where they oh basically, God. there's a whole Wikipedia called the CWC Sonichu, the, the Wikipedia, CWC Wikipedia, where they chronicle every little aspect of Christian's life from like 20, I want to say 2006 till now because Well there was a period where there was a hiatus But like basically Chris Chan When he was a he Because now it became trans uh Documented everything through this Like shitty PS2 camera And like texting people and then there was A whole like bunch of trolls That there is okay so Every event in Chris Chan's life Is broken up into what they call sagas You know like the yeah. skinny avian sagas Depending on different trolls that interacted with christine chris whatever and there's like these elaborate backstories of like trolling and convincing so basically chris chan is an autistic uh who made this uh book called Sonicu, which is an appropriation of both um sonic and pikachu yeah and there's there's like this really weird like like shitty art style and like really weird like sexual innuendos and basically Chris Chan would take like every single part of like kid shit culture when you're growing yeah. up as a millennial like yeah. from Digimon, Pokemon bronies, you name it and would put it in the Two comics and like anytime Chris would have a, Christine, sorry, would have a hardship in their life, they would like basically write that into the comics so for example when Chris at the time Christine got kicked out of the mall, he would like write in these uh, mall cops as the jerk ops or like yeah. when so And then what happened was For example on campus Went to this like community college Christine or well Chris at the time Would wear a sign Saying looking for a boyfriend free girl That's what he calls it for her And would wear this sign like you have to be white A non-smoker all this shit So naturally like it would incur the ire Of the administration So the dean of uh, The Piedmont Virginia University Was uh, yeah. her name was Mary Lee Walsh and so Christine, Chris Chan Would write Mary Lee Walsh as a Villain in the comic oh my books God. And and there's this whole Backstory with his parents Were very old when they had him Her, whatever And um, they just, there's a whole Backstory, and now Christine is going to jail For sexually molesting Should I even say on YouTube His elderly, demented Mother Barb because he thinks that there's okay. multiple dimensions that he calls the dimensional merge where every yeah. single cartoon like franchise is real yeah. and that Christine interacts with. And so yeah. he, Christine believes that Barb in another dimension is not her quote unquote mother. It's like this really weird convoluted bullshit. But basically there's like a history. It's like there's so much there's I can't even describe it. I'm literally trying to tell this okay, I had a friend when I was in grad school and I Was in my philosophy MA His name is Bob Shout out to my friend Bob Um, He's on Twitter Bob Smithers And literally from the first hour we met We talked about two things Well, three things We talked about Heidegger Julius Evola, And after the first hour I asked, do you know I made a reference Do you know who Chris Chan is? Do you know who Kristen Weston Chandler is? And Bob said, no, I don't And like literally For the next five hours In the grad room I was describing to my friend Bob who Kristen Weston Chandler, Christine Weston Chandler is. And and he's like, and near the end, he was like, Geo, I never have ever regretted asking someone a question in my life, but this is the first time I've ever regretted asking someone a question in my life.
0: Who is CWC? And Worm so, or, Worm Hatcher writes in the chat, okay, I'm back from holy mass. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh,
3: no! Well, you no, know, right. there's
2: there's a bunch of like weird <laughs> you shit. Probably go back there now. Christine became famous because um people discovered him, her on 4chan. And Opian, you know, do you remember Opie Anthony? Do you know Opie Anthony? Yeah. Anthony Kumia? Anthony Kumia. Radi- yeah, radio radio yeah. duo. Yeah, he's got a lot of sus things as well. But so back when they were together before Anthony Became like more like on the right and like you know Opie like left. Um, they profiled Chris Chan at the time, Christian Chan, Christine Chan, because Chris Chan believed in quote unquote recycling. So he believed <laughs> what are every you time doing? he believed every time you masturbated you that you're losing your precious essence. So uh. he would take a orange Fanta, he would do it in a cup, <laughs> oh my God.
3: and he would oh recycle. My God. Please.
2: And they played the no video more. on air no of where he like t- went up to the camera and like where's a co- he was like, imagine if this glass wasn't coffee but was you know what? Oh my god, Gio, like orange This him. is
0: it, this is the Imagine end. my orange this
2: bubbly is, the- is orange sp- <laughs> sp- <this> is <laughs> still is Please. And he was like, well, here it goes. Oh my god. <laughs> this is the end! This is the end! My beautiful friend, the end. When you think of it, the song, the end. I have a YouTube video, giantproductionsyoutube.com where I go for two hours analyzing the song The End by The Doors it's almost like the Odyssey of Chris Chan that one part he's like he put his long boots on he put his son a shoe medallion on and he went on down the hall he said father yes I want to kill you because he ended up killing his father through neglect by the way he was an old man A uh, mother I want to all night long there you go. The end by the doors is like the odyssey of CWC. Oh. That is a clippable moment as well. Well, Daniel, Daniel I'm sorry. Daniel. You're never going to pass your fucking SAT because now you're thinking about, oh my God, who the fuck is Christian Weston <laughs> yeah, I'm I just totally saying, fuck, I, might see, see I totally stuff. fucked your academic future because <laughs> now the fucking brainworm of CWC <laughs> has entered your soul.
0: And see this, see this old lady?
2: So this Damn, this is, this is, is... why we got to get Tim Dillon on. Okay, this, I'm going lady... to arrive. Imagine me and Tim Dillon, oh, two God. fucking fat asses, just going up, uh, just jiving. By the way, Daniel, Daniel,
0: this old lady here, this is Mary Lee Walsh. This is the yeah. uh, school person who took down this uh, boy. Show him the
2: cartoon of Mary Lee Walsh. Uh, I, well, how hold, Christian hold on, drew
0: her. So this is how oh. Christian drew her. Uh, but yeah. then somebody ended up drawing her as a sexy looking succubus. So this is oh my God. what she ended up being like. So and just... there was a
2: guy from Newgrounds who ended up animating the life of Christine West. Yes. Show look show Best Daniel kid. the letter, the, the requirements to be Chris Chan's boyfriend free girl. All right, well I gotta, him, sc- him,
0: I gotta scroll up there. Gio. But, what, okay, put it on what, pin.
2: Put what, it on twin. What are you pin? doing? What are you doing, to us? All right. Okay, put it on pin. So single cutie, 18 to 21, female. Um, what does it say? Female companion, any men not allowed. No damn, he used to call them damn dirty homos because here's the thing Christine always hated men from the very beginning because of very like disruptive uh social formations or lack thereof. So he tried to, sorry, she tried to find a way to hate men but also be a creep towards women. So I shit you not, Christine Chandler became a male lesbian because so therefore, Christine equates homosexuality with being like ultra masculine because there's no women involved and so then later on when a bunch of woke people like woke zoomers discovered christine Western chandler then he she had to like begrudgingly apologize for being homophobic so basically in so she would hand out these pamphlets that said you had to be white you had to be between 18 and 21 you have to be a non-smoker you can't be a black person like a black woman you can't be a damn dirty homo and you um i think like another one was like you had to like know what fucking pokemon was or some shit like that like it was really like this list of like this personal ad that he put on the like student paper because they would have like classified ads and so then that incurred the ire of the administration and then merely wash basically like christine there and he's like listen you got to stop this so then like just cwc's mind just fucking exploded and then it became this whole thing and also another before you go there was a big war where christine would go to this place called the game place which is basically like an ebay like gamestop right where it was had this jewish manager michael schneider and (laughs) christine got kicked out For being a total creep and like they would play like Card games like Pokemon so then Christine would like fucking creep Out all the younger people and like would do like Just bullshit right and So when when She or he was banned from the game Place they went to like Him her and her her parents When I'm only using the pronouns because YouTube I even deleted my tweet by The way because I said he I don't want the Fucking you know the MB kids after me On Twitter so um I, I don't her think and her it, parents, the MB
0: kids want to inherit to uh, Christine. Well, anyway. they are now. They are
2: now because they say that if you don't use the pronouns, that it's bad. So well, that's another argument entirely. So Christine and her parents went to fucking war with Michael Schneider in the game place to the <laughs> point where Barb and Christine got fucking arrested for assaulting, trying to assault Michael Schneider <laughs> with their car in the mall. And like then there's like these people the trolls would like record conversations. All right, Jill this is and too like, much. like Michael Schneider, Michael Stater would call in to the Wikipedia because okay, so the reason that Christine Chan got famous, do you, okay, have you ever come across Encyclopedia Dramatica? It's encyclopedia Dramatica was like the early internet. It was like the troll, like Wikipedia. Like, it had a lot of, like, internet-based humor and irony, and it was all about, like, offending people. Like, they would use, like, F-slurs and everything like that. They would, like, have the, like, dramatic, disgusting images. They would, like, make fun of Columbine and shit like that. So Christine got profiled on Encyclopedia Dramatica, and it became this, like, whole, like, brainworm in the psyche of Chris Chan, because ever since, like, 2007, when the article came up, Christine has like tried to like get that article down because that like created this whole universe of trolls and attention and troll shielding and people being with Christine and then people trying to like defend Christine then other trolls like trying to ruin Christine's life like It was just like uh, there's so much stuff. All right, Daniel has died. to go. His yeah. name was <laughs> Brandon Anderson. Ian Brandon Anderson pretended to be Christian. The real Christian. And there was a. Hold him, please. Welcome, Liquid Chris. Ian <laughs> Brandon Anderson.
0: Escape. Daniel, get out of here while you he still can. <laughs> escape. <laughs> escape. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you oh, for being here. You. Oh my god. That poor kid. I think I just yeah, ruined what?
2: Daniel's life.
0: What the
2: fuck did you do? I uh, wrote. What's the chat saying? I'm. I don't even know. So Ian Brandon Anderson pretending to be okay. Chris Geo. If we you know. wait, scroll up. Geo, if what? Um, scroll up a bit. Uh, Geo. Uh, so Lisa, go down. Go down. Go down. Um, Lisa. Uh, Geo, if you would like this, is your BMI was um? If you would be like this, if your BMI was fine, what? Oh, I sh- left, scroll up. Oh my god. Um i can't believe this geo feeding viciously off the chan energy um so your bmi was fine now go up more. go up go, go 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 up go up um you would like um but now i was very disturbing view of you my man grow some balls please what do you mean grow some balls how what do you mean lisa lisa are you single by the way
0: you oh say, fuck
2: see i'm doing it i'm doing it i'm say, sorry uh,
0: you could say lisa's tearing you apart but, wait, anyone... wait.
2: What do you mean very disturbing if you like gross balls? What do you mean gross and balls? All
0: right. While she's answering, I want to show you guys this magnet over here. So, this is a wooden magnet. Oh, man. Created by my father. Look how intricate this magnet is over here. Look how beautiful it is. This could be yours nice. if you become a $20 Patreon. Patreon.com break the rules is where you go. There's a lot of goodies. And in fact, now I have an updated graphic here that I could share $5 patron, secret uh, Discord areas, uh, Patreon only streams. Uh, you also have the MP3 versions of the episodes after they come out before anybody else does. And $20 gives you magnets. So check out these magnets over here. we got the moth. We got the uh, maple mahogany, and the ash. Oh, fairy. it's about
2: hitting the gym. daily. Oh, I see. There um, we go. yeah, well, I'm trying to get into some lifting. Um, I, I, I generally like try to do at least like one physical thing a day now. Um, whether it's like going for walks or, or like, I, I I'm, probably going to buy a weight set. i just had bands, but like uh but Lisa, you're telling me about? Um oh my god, the room. Like the room is like the perfect like yes. postmodern cinema masterpiece because Tommy wiseau is just a total nut job. And my my friend actually my best friend Chris um he like was obsessed with like the room. Uh, I shouldn't say his name Chris, but like $30 big- patrons. Three dollar patrons. Oh, they're sorry. They're going to
0: get. They're going to get a beautiful print from Geo right here, full that of F- that. F- o- G- no
2: GF F- series. Wait, you know
0: you should do a Chris Chan print. What do you think?
2: I was thinking of one. I was thinking of doing a wood engraving, but I like. I think I'm probably. I might do a painting of like the famous mugshot of Chris Chan in the uh, Francis Bacon style. So um. Wait, watch the Britney Venti stream. Uh, hit the gym, bro. This is very disturbing. You need to cleanse your mind and body. We won't talk shit that much. Um, what do you mean I'm not? I'm not talking shit. I just, I didn't know, do the PPPOA challenge. Yeah, maybe Um. All right, and lastly,
0: $50 patrons are going to get all I'm of sorry, the Sorry, Lisa, I didn't know
2: what you were well, referring to, so I was just... Um, all
0: of the above. They're going to get all of the above, plus custom magnets. Whatever you want my father to design, he's going to design it for you. You are also going to get another... Beautiful work from Gio, a painting in the Bob Ross style. You are going to get Jules Hamilton's beautifully painted Warhammer 40K figures. You are also going to get, if you, upon request, one, one a uh, printout of uh, one of the thumbs that my father painted. It has to specifically be the one that my father painted. I think you'll recognize the painting style. So uh, there we go. Become a patron, patreon.com break the rules. Sonic <laughs> you would agree. And you um... are, yes, you are going to uh, help despite all the censorship and all these things that are happening right now you are going to help us overcome so that is all listen that for the
2: say. record i'm not talking shit i'm just like trying to be honest here. i don't mean no how did i talk shit though i mean maybe like uh, i don't know like i i was okay i gotta admit when it came i was kind of talking shit a little bit um I'm sorry about that, but um, if I buy any arts of you guys, I want a total ownership, return some NFTs. <laughs> oh boy, um, maybe. Uh, no, I I don't know. Like I think uh, the the CWC thing, I'm kind of like. I forget who said it to me. I think like someone like actually DM me saying like, you have to stop because it's just poisoning yourself. Like, which is true. It's, it's just poisoning. Like, cause like, I know it's like fun. And like, we remember the good times about like the fucking trolls and all that, but like really nowadays it's like in, in light of recent events, it's just so sad and pathetic.
3: Mm.
2: Um, But if you use your brains, you would get shredded and eat fuss. Um, I know, but like, no, here's the thing. Denying my body is why I, develop my brains to run away from my body so this is why um i know i, think, I know I that sounds both, so like stupid in reddit but both like that's a trick
0: both can work simultaneously together i think that's the right idea here
2: not but, only uh, this stream what do you mean i wasn't talking shit in other streams okay listen yes i talk shit about certain people that is true um certain people like maybe i'm too hard on but i don't know like people know me as like pretty amicable
0: you are very um, amicable you're a very amicable guy
2: okay listen zero i know we have a different opinion on chris christine chan i personally i i'm i don't know Well, when it comes to christine i'm very vengeful i gotta realize that but like that's um but some streams your virgin archetype is coming up too much yeah i mean yeah that's true but i mean i can't deny who i am i mean that's i mean theoretically I speaking theoretically
0: speaking just a thought i had if they turn the prison experience of Christine into a reality show that may pay for some of the expenses of the prison itself in terms of donations and things like that, so the quality of life would be better. Or do you think <sighs> that that is a privacy invading de- 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 devil's bargain? What do you? Think no, I
2: don't think Chris will transform because Christine because they're gonna like probably. Put her whatever into solitary or mental institution. So it's not like being like on a GP yard and having it's, like it's not that like oranges and the you black. No, it's the, not gonna be like fucking. It's not gonna be like um. What was that? what Was uh, the, that caught? the the love quest
0: finally fulfilled? Basically. Oh like, God, maybe uh, well
2: goes to a women's prison probably. Yeah, that's what I'm talking um, about. Like, so that's like yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, the reason I call him Christine is because I had just for YouTube purposes, just for OPSEC. Um, I want you to call your thug. Don't, f- to be culture thug. Don't fuck with me. Um, no, I mean, like, culture thugs, all right. Um, culture thug does like a very specific thing that I, I don't think, like, we're not on the same wavelength. Um, wait, are, are you talking about the. Yeah, co- mm-hmm. by the plans. way, I thought
0: that this was fake mm-hmm. apparently not. So actually in the same light that we were talking about regarding Christine, do you see that article that I just posted here? Wow. California B gives- even California gives female inmates condoms plan B.
2: Well, there's after- a lot of like there's also like a lot of sexual uh, exploitation that goes on um in women's prisons like with guards. Mm-hmm. But then there are like okay, but then there are like female guards that will like hook up with like male inmates. But um, there is, like, a lot of sus, like, very, like, sexual abuse that goes on in women's prisons, like, in terms of guards. I personally think, like, maybe you shouldn't have, like, male guards in women's prisons, and you shouldn't have female guards in male prisons, in my opinion. That's, like, just too much of a moral hazard. Because these, like, prison guys... They'll like literally like charm the pants off of a female guard who isn't like that attractive on average to begin with. I mean, not to stereotype, but then like a lot of prisoners on YouTube, they'll say like, yeah, the female guards they have like very low self esteem, so it's very easy for like a swab prisoner to just like chat them up, you know. Mm. Um,
0: interesting. Well, anyway, guys, this is the end of the stream. Thank you very much for watching. Next week, next Tuesday, we are going to have Logo Daedalus and Amy Therese at it, and it's going to be wonderful, and then we are going to have Uncle Duma. Uncle (laughs) Duma is going to be coming in for uh, next Thursday, and then we are going to have, I believe, Patriot J, who's going to be coming in the Tuesday afterwards. He's already confirmed with me, so it's all good. And then we are going to have Jason Rizadrojani coming in uh, as well, so that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm very excited about that. That's going to be Thursday, August 19th. Then we are going to have Tuesday, August 24th, Hotep Jesus. Hotep Jesus is going to be joining us, so be sure to watch that. Mm -hmm. Thursday, August 6th, Uber Boyo and Jonathan Peugeot go at it. Then we have Tuesday, August 31, Paul Rossi coming in. And then I think Count Dankula is on for Thursday, September 2. Don't quote me at that. I just have to confirm with the guy. But then again, that's what we have for you. And we're going to have a lot more for you as well. So thank you very much for watching. As always... You could find us on Apple. You could find us on uh, Spotify. You could find us on DLive. Yeah, on Twitch, thank you. And, of course, on Odyssey as well. And, of course, patreon.com um, slash break the rules. One last time, I'm going to put the link in. You guys, if you become well, patrons, wait, you are going to help that's, us out a lot.
2: Um, Tom Tom. Reason he developed his election stuff is because he had to come so his way. Yeah, that's very true, Tom Tom. That is true. Um you deserve more geo you can put your brains to use um yeah i mean my problem is like i don't know i feel like well chris chan's kind of your vice would that be fair to say (laughs) oh not that bad um no i feel like by the time like like well people were mentioning meme analysis like he was like i'm like i meme analysis peak i'm like obviously like way bigger than meme analysis but like no i feel like i don't know like if i if i did like Put in the work Like realistically I'm 28 now So like by the time I see any results Like I'll be like Like not that I'm not Trying now But like I don't know Like I was saying My old man like I'll uh, be like what, thirty years old and like fucking, you know, I don't know what fucking That's like wizard do- that's like wizardhood, bro. Again, it's like G- fuck. G- <laughs> G- might, well like, like... might as well like Roblox myself. I don't, G- know. G- <laughs> no, don't stop it, stop it. Know. No,
0: this is fucking ridiculous. Fox. And I mean that it's fucking ridiculous. You act like oh my god. I'm done I'm this for it. Old Plus man. like the way things I'm are going for. like in the world. No, fucking I'll it, never G- I
2: will never get to travel no, to America no, G-O, ever. G-O, stop it. Stop like, it. You're fucking piece of shit.
0: I'm going to sneak you into Canada. Don't worry well, about Well, apparently it. Gonna they're going to say out. that I mean, you
2: can only enter America with a you-know-what, uh, the Gein passports. So, all right, Gio. Listen, I don't know, man.
0: We're going we're gonna to go through this. Don't worry. A lot of this is in our heads, okay? We got to change the way that we think. Because well, the world, the- like, isn't
2: the irony that, like, the- when I go out, I have the capacity to actually, like, go out to the world that, like, for fucking... Uh, years I didn't yeah. like was like, you know, no, Geo, this, all... no, this is a basement dweller, loser a This is actually out there, the world goes insane. That's fucking irony, right there. G- Gio, it's, like, it's like that one Twilight episode with the guy with the glasses. Finally, his bitch of a wife is dead. Finally, he's got all the resources and books in the world to read. His fucking glasses breaks, and then after the nuclear no,
0: Geo, this is the That's wrong. That's me.
2: Oh, no, 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 no,
0: no, 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 Geo. What you have right now it's is not a challenge, Geo. 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 What you have right now before you ah. is the challenge of a lifetime that you are going to overcome and you will overcome. This is a quote from Tupac Shakur. But like
2: the reality. Let like... me finish. goddammit! Okay, it! Go Here's a quote
0: from Tupac Shakur: You gotta make a change. It's time for us as a people to start making some changes. Let's change the way we eat. Let's change the way we live. Let's change the way we treat each other. You've got that part down. You see, the old way wasn't working, so it's on us to do what we got to do to survive. And Gio... Oh, Russell Walters
2: you... in the chat. Um, well, I forgot to message you, man. Um, we, We're going to try to get John David Ebron, but, like, it's yes. just... You're not even
0: acknowledging the Tupac very quote. Goddamn no, it. listen, it's the important. Tupac
2: quote, did he write that when he was in the Bahamas after he faked his death? Or did he okay. write that ad before? No, no,
0: no, no. That was from Changes. That was from a song of his. Well, oh,
2: that is a good song. I mean, I'm not a big... I'm more of a biggie person, but, like, Um, I I think, like, I mean, New York rap, like, was good in the early 90s, like, with people like Big L, and to an extent, like, you know, was Nas from New York or was, um, I forget, Um, like, I mean, New York rap has a different thing. Um, Rogan altered states tank does nothing. <laughs> yeah, the ISO tank. Um, no, no I mean wrong, like
0: wrong. It does a lot. You got to do the Wim Hof method. You got to do the cold showers, Geo. You got. to I'll teach you how to do the Wim Hof method.
2: I know how to do the. I do a bit of it after I like have a.
0: All right, like let's a, do let's do it together then after this stream unless you're after this. No, stream, no, you breathe through your over, nose
2: and you. No, Geo. No, no, we're gonna do 30 it together. Times.
0: We're gonna do it together and then unless you want to do it on the stream, because we can do it on the stream, too. No, no,
2: that's too cringe. That's Okay, <laughs> no, fine. That's not... okay.
0: <laughs> off stream, we're doing it. Everybody oh, no. off stream, we're doing it. You promise, Gio? Let's do it together, just so I- I'll test you. I'll see how good you are, okay? So anyway, guys, this is the end of the show. Thank you so much for watching Tuesday Logo, Amy. It's going to be a lot of fun. Keep supporting us. Uh, share this with all of your friends. Like, subscribe, of course, and uh, click the bell. All that good stuff. That is going to help please. Us we grow. need to
2: grow so we could get drunk with power and like end up like Ethan Ralph. No, I'm fucking kidding. We'll never end up like Ethan Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, see, you're right. I'm I'm just talking shit right now. I'm sorry. So, All right, um, this is the end, everybody. Take care. Good night, everybody. Bye.